The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. For years, <laughs> would say things like, oh, Scott Schultz, one-man show, only makes 500 cases of wine. Oh, Whenever yeah. somebody only? wrote that, only? it may have been true in like all 2011. Right. But it hasn't been true since then, and it gets regurgitated. Oh. And it's so unfair to Jenny that she doesn't get, because she deserves pretty much all the credit, to be honest. So uh, the only thing we are missing is a pour. Is a pour. What do you think, um, Trousseau right Gris or Aligote? <laughs> what should we start with? Uh, either or. Trousseau Gris does have a touch of skin contact, but um, so that's like lighter, cleaner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y- you understand, Brian's like this right now. He's like, yeah. You have no idea. I have had what? every single one of his whites. What, what are we going to open? What are and we going to open first? Really? Anything that was in Bottle Barn, I grabbed every time I went there. I would open something else first. <laughs> Why but what are we going to open first? That girl in the fig. <laughs> Oh, no, no, that was a long time ago. Plus, <laughs> shots fired early on. Early on, shots fired. Are you ready? We make our own varieties. Could have been at Fairmont, ah, too. There you go. Hey, everybody, welcome to The Winemakers. I'm John Myers with the full crew today, Brian Casey, Bart Hanson, Sam Katuri, and Scott Schultz, master of all things wine and... <laughs> O- owner and uh, winemaker at Jolie Lake. Yeah. Co-winemaker. Uh, you know Co-winemaker. Yes, please. That's a, that's a Steve <laughs> Martin reference, right? I, I don't want much. I just want to be master of all beans, time, space, and dimension. That's a good right. thing. Scott Schultz, Scott Schultz. Master of Welcome to the wine. Show. Master of wine like and all beans. <laughs> Benevolent dictator. <laughs> oh, that's I always enjoy hearing opening, man. It always yeah, makes it thirsty when I'm to you guys. <laughs> that's the idea. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Don't listen to it on the way to work. Listen to it on the way home. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so Brian's all excited. Of course. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Yeah. I was excited when I heard you were coming to Sonoma. Um, I was like, oh, cool. I'll be closer to the source. <laughs> yeah. And we've we've tried to come a few times. And then apparently, you, you know, I think everyone got COVID at one point. I think you guys were all sharing joints. And- pass it around. Uh, this is true. It might not have been. That checks out. Smallers were invited that I day. I think it was but. the cheese. It was, it was the cheese. Got it. Cheese. Right. Still going around and around and around. Around man. and around and around. Every couple <laughs> weeks, somebody's got something. So. Well, I'm glad to be here now. Cheers. So, it worked out fine. Cheers. So, so what's your biggest impression on the difference between, you know, hanging out working in Sebastopol and hanging out working in Sonoma? Um, oh man, so we've moved around a lot and I, I realize we're going to get into the nitty gritty, but we were in Sebastopol for years, Forestville first, Sebastopol for years, started to work on a thing in Santa Rosa, unfortunately lost that in the fires in 20, oh. uh, was in Healdsburg the last two years oh, okay. and now just moved to Wait, Sonoma. you lost it in the fires in 20 in Santa Rosa? Santa Rosa. In the um, last fire. Yep. When exactly. it came over the hill. So, um, our really good friend whom I'm sure you all know, Jamie Motley, unfortunately she lost all of her 20 vintage in that same, uh, so oh, she, that's right. we had moved all her barrels into one portion of the winery that we're working on that was temperature controlled. Where was it? Up Los Alamos Road. Uh, um, do you remember uh, Adler Fells? Yeah. yeah. Is that it just behind that Steve uh, Law? But right. some really good friends of ours bought it. Sort of north, um, a little north of there. Okay. More towards Santa Making Rosa. some wine up there, and so we turned the bunker into a winery. It's like a 5,000 square foot winery. Yeah. And unfortunately, like three press loads in, fires came through and... 
So the bunker, because it is a concrete bunker, is still there. The fire went right over it. Right. Ooh. So all of our all of our 19s were in the bunker, totally fine. Huh. I and wish you would. stuff on the, like, on the crush pad, basically. Yeah, in the lower house. I mean, I could show you pictures, yeah. but we won't. I no, wish you listeners could we don't see. Do, we don't exactly. Need to we don't want to go back on that. <laughs> and talk about So we've, we've moved starting around Starting in the middle of right. the story, right. where, <laughs> classically. So, yeah. so let's Jolie Lane. So you grew up where? I'm from Chicago. Hey. All right, great. Uh-huh. Hey. Actually, I've heard hey. that you lived in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I caught that on one of the one of the episodes. No, we were downtown. Long-time listener, first-time guest. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. I listened. So um, where were you in Chicago? Most recently was Bucktown Wicker Park for the oh, last 10 absolutely. years before leaving. How cool is that place? Love it. Double door. Saw the stones at the double door. Oh, wow. <laughs> God, I actually, a, I remember that. What a show. <laughs> what a bar. Yeah, I and Wait, I miss that neighborhood. The stone and like a small a bar in Chicago. Yeah, literally small venue. They closed right it on off. The corner. What year? That had to be like oh, maybe oh five six. Oh shit, something like yeah. that. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And a buddy of mine um, ran a guitar store right around the corner from the bar, and of course everybody congregated there, and that's where I heard about it. And was like, uh, go go now. Nice. Get your ticket, cool. and I think there might have been 300 people for the show. It is recorded. You can get it on YouTube. Damn. So grew up in Chicago, and what did you... He's good. Keeps us on track. Yeah. I, it's so, someone, all right. Someone. Here, I'll do... I'll do uh, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of uh, movie trailer version it for you. Um, born and raised in Chicago. Um, my father moved to Vegas. I went to high school in Vegas. What high school? Uh, Cimarron Memorial. Do you actually know Vegas? I, I know Vegas high schools for a very bizarre reason. Okay. Um, if you want to, I, I, I can go on. This sounds uh, dangerous. We're going down a road. When I was in college in Reno, uh, I would fly to Vegas and work at when they had the NASCAR, like the big NASCAR race okay, at the sure. at the race, and you know, but the raceway, and I was a, a the like an usher essentially. But we had teams of volunteers from like groups at the hi- different high schools uh, would show up, and you'd have thirty high school kids that you'd put in you know yellow vests that said ushers, and you'd spread them out through the crowd, and then you had all these adults who were running around like making sure that, and then at some point they just all got replaced by security guards by about you know twenty percent through the race. Um, but I had all it was like different high schools, so I know all the high schools, Cimarron, and you know. So yeah, I was on the, the west side, okay. and uh, it's funny, it's the, the one and only time I saw the Grateful Dead, we'll talk about it later, was at, in Las Vegas. Um, oh, those were some, I'm not those were some classic, those were some epic shows, yeah. supposedly, yeah. So my, uh, I won't go into the, my torrid past, but I used to get into a shit ton of trouble, it was just all my Wait, nature, my whole that's life. What, that's what we <laughs> want to hear. Yeah, no, I, I, and <laughs> that into it, that would be a whole other episode, but... Um, it's a different podcast. So my, uh, I had a roommate. He was cooking at a restaurant. I wanted, you know, I wanted to get into restaurants. I started cooking literally at an Olive Garden around the corner. The same roommate took a busboy job at this Italian restaurant. He'd come home and be like, oh, "I made forty bucks cash today." I'm like, "You made four dollars cash? I want to make four dollars cash." And so I started being a busboy, and then you know, switched to working at Spago and in Caesar's Palace, and um, realized Vegas was probably not the right place for a guy like with a personality like mine. <laughs> so I went back to Chicago. At the time, Spago was still there. So I started, short version is I started working in restaurants just yeah. to make money, yeah. you know, pay for school, all that kind of stuff. So I went to school for several different things. 
Um, but I always just genuinely loved the restaurant part of it cool. and stayed in restaurants. And, you know, you know, it occurs to you the nicer restaurant you work at and the more money you work at. And there's a lot of wine. So I was exposed to wine and just kind of stayed with that. Fast forward, that eventually brought me out to California. So I was working for the Keller Group. Um, so a girl and I moved to California. She was at uh, French Laundry. I was at Bouchon. I was the wine director. Um, but when I got here, naively, I thought winemakers live in, you know, Europe and they live in France or whatever. And I got here and met all of these people. And I was like, oh, this sounds so cool. I want to I want to check that out. I, I, can I stop you? Yeah, of course. Go. Because um, you somehow skipped from being a busboy at Spago to the wine director at Bouchon. Right. And I feel like something happened there, in there. that there was, like, where, did, where did the wine piece of that? That's all, that's all pertinent information. Go? So. Um, I, I realized <laughs> it was yeah. Olive Garden, Sam. Olive Garden. I, I, I didn't even. Yeah. I, was to I didn't even Garden smoke weed. And, and there was got to have something to wash down all that bread that they sold by the glass. Just did it for me. <laughs> right. And from then on, I wanted to make true so green. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, that's not where the, okay. the inspiration no, came from. So uh, my buddies and I, we realized we weren't even old enough to to buy booze yet, but we realized that uh, you can yeah. buy a home beer making kit at any age. And so we started making beer in our apartment. We got super into beer. That was like where the geekdom started. Okay. Um, and back then, you know, like, I and mean, then there's an infinite amount. It's a labyrinthal thing itself. But so we got really into beer. We started working in these restaurants and there's a, like a funny circuitous parts of this where at Spago, my buddy and I, the, the other busboy kid and I, it was my roommate at the time. We wanted to sit on one of the wine classes and he's like, all right, yeah, whatever kid. And like, you know, you're 18 years old. Like, don't taste it, quote unquote, sit in the back, like keep your head down. And so we listened to this class and it was Ken Fredrickson <laughs> was the wine director. And we was talking about Riesling and it was the first time I'd ever heard someone do like, you know, oh, wet river rocks and this. And I was like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> and it, was, it just became fascinated with it. Um, and so all of the restaurants I worked at, we always had wine. We had to take wine classes. I took wine classes outside of that, read a lot about it. Um, I did every single position in restaurants, like busboy, line cook, you know, go down in flames in the kitchen. Um, just like I said, genuinely love the restaurants. And um, I mean, I can, unfortunately, every restaurant that I worked at is closed. And I don't think that's a direct correlation to me. <laughs> but no. so like one from Spago to, um, geez, I worked at MK, I worked at Spring, I worked at True. I worked at this place called Lalan that is not there anymore. Um, and then went to Europe with a girl to afford Europe. I was a salaried line cook at this restaurant. Six days a week, your station was your station. Like, you literally are not allowed to call in. Um, to afford that, I went back to Vegas where I could make a lot of money really quickly. That's when I started working at Bouchon in Vegas. Mm. Left for Europe. They kept my job open. I was like, shit, I'm going to come back from Europe broke. So, yeah, sure. Went back to Vegas for a little bit, lived there for a short while, and then we kind of got recruited to go to Yonville. And so mm. at, I thought I was going to the French Laundry. They put me right. on They put, um, her name is Bree, put her at um, French Laundry. And then shortly thereafter, she went to go work at Harlan. I pivoted and went to go work for Realm. So I met Juan Mercado yeah, yeah, yeah. and was trying, I was trying to chase a couple of people down, but a yeah. lot of these winemakers, as you all know, like whether it was Andy Erickson or, you know, they have like 30 clients right. and trying to trail them for harvest. And I just, and Juan 
was so gracious. He's like, yeah, show up. Let's it's, come do a harvest. You know, I, I've been doing this long enough that the way you got into wine business typically was that you went to Davis or you went to Fresno sure. or, you, you know, I mean, there wasn't a lot of white guys that were coming out in the 80s that were sure. coming out of the restaurant business or coming out of distribution. Maybe they'd work a harvest so that way they could say that they had experience when they went working for a distributor yeah. or, you know, or, or at a restaurant. But it, I think it's awesome how many people have come out of the restaurant business and fallen in love with winemaking so much that you would invest the rest of your life into it and your, you know, your, your living, um, dollars. Uh, so and kudos to you, there's you know, a lot of ways to get here, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or these days, even like an athlete or a musician right. has too much money and they think wine is fancy and right. want to be in the space and they hire but you came out and got dirty or it's, you know, you're born into it and I'm not picking on anyone or, you know, but, um, or you're like me and you could just kind of weasel your way in and, yeah. 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 Put your head down, work hard, and, and hopefully nobody's you know comes up behind you and taps you on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like so, Patrick you know. uh, Capiello, right? It, where he was like working in restaurants, got totally intrigued and fell in love with wine and then came out here and decided to make a little stop in Sebastopol. I, I heard his um he's a great friend and we shared the same cellar for a while when he was getting yeah. started. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Same like me, Bart. Yeah. I mean it is like <laughs> <laughs> a lifestyle whiplash from, you know, the suit and tie on the floor of the, you know, the Keller restaurant to, you know, digging out, digging out tanks and, and cleaning the press. Or even more differently. Going, and waking up early and going to bed early. Or, you know, or, the whole or, thing. or being tied to a station, as you said, six days a week, you can't call in sick, to actually getting to the point where you're like... No, I don't have to go to the winery today. The wines need, would be better left just left alone, but right? Like, I know that I did my job, walk away from them. It, it translates in the facts, like, I did both front and back of the house. Obviously, back of the house often makes a deplorable amount of money. And, and so I worked more front of the house and yeah. just personality-wise, I, I did well. Figure that out quick. Exactly. But I, I truly, <laughs> I, I loved being in the kitchen. And so that's the part that translates. It, it's, right. you know, sure, maybe it's not as hot and sharp, right. but that energy, those 16 hours of harvest and just yeah. growing, um, that part I like. And it just kind of suits my right. ADHD mm. nature, I guess. Yeah. My totally. father often derisively always just says, you know, winemakers are... Chefs who only cook one time a year, but I mean that is the uh, it is that same process. It's it's the tickets are coming in, the grapes are coming in. You got to turn it into something and you know get it out into the tank before the you know before the patrons start and rioting. I, I can do a sixteen hour shift on a restaurant floor or in the cellar. But if you fucking put me in a cubicle, I melt. Like, yes. I, and all of the people that I, I work with, the whole team, and I'll, I'll mention all of them because they're great, will all confess that I am fucking horrible at sitting still and being on, like, Data entry is not your forte, no, huh? No, 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 no. Not good at it. Thankfully, like, the whole, all of us together, like, right. we all bring different parts. And yeah. um, we'll talk about Jenny, but she is literally the one that keeps it all together. That's awesome. Did you ask why they sent you to Bouchon instead of French Laundry? Uh... I was actually peeved at the time right, because no, I was interviewing with yeah. this guy, Nikola, Nikola Fanuki, and he was the, um, I think he was the GM at the time. Um, it's kind of a weird story, but, and I don't know, I might be speaking out of turn, but at the time, Thomas and Laura, so Laura was kind of the renowned front of house. They had broken up, if you will. Uh -huh. 
And so they wanted a replacement. So they put Brie at the French Laundry. She was the concierge there. And they put me, um, it's funny, I was just texting with them. Paul Roberts was the, the wine director for the whole group, all of them, mm-hmm. per se, all of it. And uh, I was told that I was going to be the assistant beverage director under Jared Heber at the time from Grand Place, um, only to find out he was actually interviewing elsewhere. So they were kind of just like getting me in the door. Right. Not because I was uh, so knowledgeable that I was the right guy. It was they knew if they put me there that I would do the work. Yeah. And so I've kind of been set up for and it must have been, it success must or been failure, whichever yeah, one it was. Yeah. Must have been a good time. It was great, actually. Yeah. I, it was I really a nice restaurant. It. But the restaurant's still great. I was <laughs> there recently. Yeah. <laughs> but, Bart, I was, because they did that to me when I interviewed at Benziger. Yeah. That I went through the whole interview process and then they're like, all right, we're going to hire you. And then they drove me down to imagery and they're like, this is where you're working. And I was like, oh, I thought I thought I was working with the old dudes up at Benziger. And they're like, no, you're with the kids well, down, so, here, down here at imagery. You're at the kitty so, table. So were you like, uh, did you feel like you were sent down to the lower leagues? Well, at, at first I was because I had never heard of imagery. I had heard of Benziger. I didn't even know anything about the label. But then when I got there and I saw the artwork and saw the like the yeah. unique varietals, I was right. like, oh, okay, this I would probably prefer working down Oh, yeah. Here. And, and at I the don't time, kinda... those were unique varietals. Like when you were right. there, like the, yeah. it was... Yeah. There wasn't anyone Speaking bottling. Varietals, can we talk about Keeper the wine in our glass right yeah, now? Yeah, let's. What's, what so, are we drinking? And actually, to, <laughs> it it does all come together. So, um, speaking of Bouchon, so when you come from restaurants with big worldly wine lists and then get dropped into Napa, yeah. and just that myopia of it's literally just cab with a little bit of Pinot and Chard, like yeah. that's it, um, and that drove me nuts. Yeah, and so that's why. So the genesis of pretty much this whole project came from those kind of constraints. Um, and not I'm not disparaging Cabernet. Cabernet is great. Um, but it's like, you know, you wouldn't listen to the same music every day. You wouldn't eat the same food every day. But people just, like, some people just know Cab, and they only, and it's just oh. so unappealing to me. And I enjoyed working in Napa, but, you know, after a couple of vintages at Realm, I started looking around, and there were so many wines, like, Pay and Arnold Roberts and Radio Coteau and all these guys that were doing things and you know, that was like right when Ceratos started and I was like fuck these wines don't taste like California yeah. like they taste like they're European but they're made here and I thought that was fascinating yeah. um, and so when I had the opportunity to make something it was obvious it wasn't going to be Cabernet even though people told me I should it was going to be something unique um, and so that's what we've been doing ever since and it's expanded expanded so we're just kind of like shifting the California paradigm a little bit so first vintage was what 2010. 2010, and that was made where? Uh, that was made in Forestville. Okay. That, if you've ever seen the building, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's currently where Rhyme is. Rhyme, yeah, Rhyme's making their wines there right now. Yeah. So it was Arnott Roberts, Rhyme, and what was at the time Wind Gap. Right. Was all there. Huh. And and were you hired just as seller help, or were you hired with the intent of? Did you come in like I want to make my own wine, and how um, did that work? I certainly didn't. Um, it's funny when you say it like that. I, I, I mean, no, 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 no. And, and totally true. Like, I did a couple of harvests, yeah. and it wasn't like, oh fuck, I feel like I know it all. Now I'm going to start a brand and make some wine. Not the case. No, no. Right. It was, I was allowed to make a ton or two as like, let's see how badly you screw this up, kind of a thing. Right. Okay. And it was one ton, and then the next year it was two tons. Yeah. The next year it was three tons, and 
you know, now it's. I, here's where I'm going. With it. It takes tons. over your life. Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. I mean, like, you know, we, we we've talked about this before. You know, Bedrock University. Um, we've talked about you know everybody that's come out of oh. that has worked, yeah. started at PAX or worked <clears> at PAX <throat> at some point. You know, and I I wish I wish somewhere along the way one of my bosses would have said, "Do you want to make a little bit of wine, your own wine?" You know, I appreciated they let me make some of their wine because it was. Talk about confidence builders, you know. Sure. But you know the fact that a winery would go, you know, let you choose your own variety. Let you your choose your own, own variety. Your make own you know you can make it here. I mean, I'm sure they did it for their own reasons, but I I, I applaud it because it it keeps everybody excited about new things and trying new stuff. It keeps everybody sharp. I think Bedrock excels at this, and I don't even know the whole. I mean, I know Cody and I know several of them, um, but hearing them. Like, it sounds like a cult. Like, they all help each other. Like, everyone's in a good mood. I think like, they would prefer commune. Yeah. I, yeah. If, no, if they're, I think. Listening. After I insulted them in the DTC episode, I yeah. might as well. Don't listen all the way through. No. I, th- Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great no, no, how they it's, do it's, it. It's amazing. It is. How it they is. have it set up. It, it's, yeah. like, truly inspiring. Yeah. The, the you know, you kind of hinted at it. You know, the PAX thing, like. He he can get away with uh, with not paying you very much by letting you make a little wine and you know that kind of thing whatever. Um, but yes, you know that's where Ryan started. That's where Duncan Roberts started. Yeah. That's where Jamie Motley started. That's where I started. Yeah. Currently, Rosalind Reynolds from Emmy. Yeah. And I'm probably even forgetting some names, but Martha. yes, a lot of yeah. people. Yeah. Um, Martha didn't work. Martha was one of the roommates. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, at the time, so we went from Forestville to the Barlow, Sebastopol. Cool. That was Wind Gap. So yeah. Charles Banks and Terroir and that whole thing. And what, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. What happened to Wind Gap? That, that so that was a wine that was on the list at the Girl and the Pig. But then what what happened to that label? That's when there's there's a, there's a couple podcasts. Yeah, there's a whole yeah. Other, that's a whole, <laughs> whole, whole other episode, okay. really. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Charles Banks Company Terroir um, kind of had to be dissolved. They wanted to buy Wind Gap the brand. <clears throat> I think it was pretty. Um, Tormented while it was happening, but what what ended up happening is they took the brand. Pax kept the winery. Pax got his name back, you know, right around the same time, um, and it just became it literally just the sign on the wall went from Wind Gap to Pax. Huh. I think that brand was probably going to sell to something like Foley. I'm not saying that it was or something like that, and I just never saw it again. Hmm. Okay, so you know the Charles Banks story? No, no. But you, Charles, Charles Banks was the the like financier, investor, and all these things, and was among other things uh, defrauded uh, Tim Duncan, Tim the, Duncan, the basketball player, and like stole, you know, and like no, okay, not the guy from Silver Oak, not the guy from Silver Oak, <laughs> okay. no, the Tim Duncan basketball. It's an okay. important distinction. Tim, yeah. Duncan, yeah. I've never met Tim Duncan basketball player. Tim Duncan Silver Oak's a, a, a lovely guy, very different than right. much shorter than Tim Duncan basketball yeah. player, um, and he went to jail. He was also part of the like Mayakamas. Yeah, he was. He was involved in tons of wine deals all over California, New Zealand, South Africa, all over the world. Yeah, Yeah. the terroir group, big like. Can you you make wine in prison? uh, You, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Called Pruno. Imagine that the prison that he went to, you know, probably had like a wine making unit. You know, yeah, probably. (laughs) It was probably not like how dope would that be? And and I will say, I I, I don't know Charles super well. He was the nicest guy, like in my interactions with him. And yes, of course, all that was unfortunate. And, and right. um, to your point, yes, I think it was probably a pretty bougie place compared to what we're picturing from the movies. <laughs> so uh, yeah. let's talk about the wine nerd. And now he's like hanging out in Florida or something. He's out of jail already. Even. Yeah. This is beautiful stuff. 
Right. Yeah, let's talk about the wine. Yeah. <laughs> let's get out of that one. <laughs> All right. So um, in 2010, yes, we started with True Agree. Since then, we've added things. And some of these things are unturned stones being things that were here the whole time, like True Agree was planted in 78 to 80. Um, a lot of things we've put in the ground. Um, so it's been a constant evolution. Uh, this in front of you is Alagote. So this is two different vineyards. For years, we were asking people to put it in. And then two people put it in at the same time. So there's actually two vineyards in here because it was the very first crop and both were tiny. Um, and they were made similarly. So we just blended them together to make our life easier. And and it's delicious. It was the first go of it. Um, this current vintage, as in the one that we just did, uh, we picked one of them much, much earlier with the intent of we currently have it as a base wine. And then we're going to turn it into sparkling. It'll be the first time we ever did sparkling. Cool. I know you've talked about that before, but you've... You were like, if you were going to do sparkling, you wanted to do it right. But it's it's like, it's time consuming and a kind of expensive, right? Uh, it's all of those things. So <laughs> yeah. we don't. And it's even more expensive. Ask Morgan about that. I don't want to um, like disparage anyone else's efforts. I'm personally, only speaking for myself, not a big fan of Petnat. Every once in a while, there's some good ones for the most part. They're, it's such a fucking crapshoot. It's such a crapshoot. And if you're not nailing it, yeah. like they're they're not dry enough or they're like they're bombs, they're mousy, they're turbid, they're like yeah. all the things, all the faults. And even Tim, who's amazing, works for Martha, he's like, How oh, come you don't make sparkling? And I was like, Well, if I can't do it well, I don't want to do it. We happen to be next door to um Carbon East, who specializes mm -hmm. in sparkling. So we are only making the base wine and then we'll put it in Tourage with them. He's got all the equipment, the bottling, the acumen, everything. Yeah. So yeah, don't think that I'm doing it all myself. Not the case at all. <laughs> Highly uh, specialized. You, you can't. I mean, uh, remember Mark Harrell talking about one. If you know, he would want to do it all himself, and it would be like baseline, almost like cost of goods, three hundred dollars a bottle. Right. You have to sell it for six hundred dollars. To do like just grower champagne to model. Do grower totally. champagne yeah. the yeah. way he you know fully like in house. It's just, it's so time consuming and, yeah. and laborious. And you're yeah, touching the bottle so many times, like, yeah. especially if you're doing long tourage and yeah. Yeah, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. Um, so yes, two different vineyards. One is, if will we, you talk about Aligote a little bit? <laughs> sure. Just because, um, I right. don't think there's going to be a lot of people who so, don't know. Uh, uh, and it's essentially the, the other Bordeaux blanc white grape, right? No, or is that not no, how the other Burgundy blanc. I mean, the other, sorry, the other burgundy, the burgundy white. I yeah, it, layman's terms. I kind of say like it's you know Chardonnay's little sister. Technically, the parents are just slightly different, um, but all the greats, whether you're Rulo, Pycm, Koch, like all of them, they all make one, right. but it's declining because Chardonnay is is you know the the king, queen, whatever you want to call it, um, and a, a lot of what we do like Gamay, Elegote, they're all kind of underdogs. We even make Malone, so like you know, same variety as Muscadet, yeah. um, and these are considered cheaper, inferior kind of wines, and we like to showcase them. Vintage kind of thing. Um, totally. Yeah. And so we, like I said, this got put into two different sites. One of them is down at Saleto in San Benito, so just on the other side of the hill from Calera. Um, so there's a lot of limestone down there, cooler temperatures, um, and then the other one is off of West Side Road, technically Sweetwater. So if you guys have probably heard about this, but there's a guy who has a property out there where a, a bunch of us all kind of went in on it, but Sam in particular from Idlewild right. kind of organized it, but there's 58 different varieties there now. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. 
all in tiny little blocks. So we get Aligote, Gamay, Trousseau, Pulsard, and Mondis all on the top of the hillside. I feel like that needs to be a uh, on-location show. Yeah. The vineyard is stunning. The guy who owns it, it, it's amazing. Because let me think about this. That road drops into, like, Guerneville, right? Yeah, but it's... It goes from West Dry Creek, because I think I've ridden it on my bike before, but it, it, like, literally drops you... I mean, it's brutal to get to the top. You don't even go to... Well, in this one circumstance, from West Side Road, you turn on the Sweetwater, you're only on it for a couple of minutes. Right. Um, um, David bought what was five. Now I think it's 700 acres, which I didn't realize that you don't realize that there's properties that big. It was a kind of a constellation vineyard. So it was Zinn, Pinot and Cab that was not organic and farm shitty and all the stuff. So when they came in they're you know, they started tasting Idlewild and, and Rhyme and, you know, I can name all the names, Arnold Roberts. And so they brought everyone together and said, you know, what would you do? What would you do? What would you do? And then Sam kind of took all that information. COVID happened. And I think he just got stare crazy and in a year or two years, he had the whole thing flipped over. Wow. That's so fucking cool. Awesome. Well, and <laughs> to many, have a grower. Wait, is it a 700 acre vineyard? No, no property. Property. No, no, no. Not much, planted. What's, yeah. what's planted? Uh, yeah. That's a great question. Actually, I, I couldn't honestly answer I mean, that. That's, that's, it's either flat enough to plant there or it's not Crazy even flat enough to right. Like walk. Not, not legally right. plantable anymore. Right. Um, so it's like little islands, I imagine. Totally. It's tiny little parcels. Yeah. He kept everything small. Oh, um, it, awesome. It's probably more of a pain in the ass than not right. because there's so many different people in there and different picking decisions and different, you know, even for the, the you know, Ryan Meyer who f- farms it. Just like every variety is different, behaves different. But there's like uh, there's Kerner and Skia Patino and like all kinds of shit. That's a great love. training ground for people that wanna wanna you know get into ag. It's like go out there and if you want to grow grapes, come out and check out all this shit on one piece of property. And it's it's only I, I think 700 foot elevation, but you're looking down into the whole valley. It's gorgeous. Like a nine-sided Rubik's cube, and no one, <laughs> just like no one in Sonoma, and this is part of our challenge too. This the whole time, and and we're we're gaining, but no one in Sonoma ever would, you know, if you, if I came to you and said, oh, let's take out your six thousand dollar ton Pinot and put in fucking frappato yeah, or something, no shit, like, right? oh, take egg, no way. Yeah. And so the, it, it it's really just the kind of genius of the the owner David who let all that happen, yeah. who championed all that. Well, then what was your experience with Alagote before you made it? Uh, making it zero, just drinking it and loving it. And what was it about it that you liked? Um, it can be, you know, just as good or as great as Chard. It's funny. So my good friend has cadet in Napa, Aubrey, mm-hmm. and we did an interview with her once. And she said, okay, you know, the desert island question, like one wine, either drink or make for the rest of your life. And I said Chardonnay. And she was like, what the fuck? I don't, it's like that is like counterintuitive to everything that you do. I'm like, right. well, sure, champagne, Chablis, white burgundy, like, yeah. like now even like Patagonian chard and like all these things. It's, it's when it's good, it's great. Yeah. And sure, people chard can have two heads, and people think they hate it because they either don't like all the acid and or they don't like all the oak or especially shitty oak. Um, and so people think they don't like Chardonnay, but it it's brilliant. Yeah. And so. You know, it is if you, literally a desert island question. Like, if you're on a desert island, fuck yeah, you want some Chablis. And yeah, some drink some champagne. champagne let's go. <laughs> Might as well. Yeah. And, you know, sitting. See if there's some oysters growing out there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go, go to Zuni, order some oysters, and have, you know, order the chicken and order a bottle of Rulo. Right. You know, Aligote. Right. It's like, boom. Yeah. All right. So That's then, awesome. So then, what did, but what are you thinking when you're making it as far as like, having to tell the story about what the hell this is. Cause I'm sure a lot of people at first would look at it and they thought that was like 
that was like your name for like the blend that was in it or something. You know what Probably I mean? There so. was some people that didn't even know that that was a grape. Um, you know, first go of it, we fermented it mostly in concrete in eggs. Ooh. Some was f- barrel fermented, um, and kept it in the two mediums. So some of it was in oak, some of it, um, we, we use all neutral barrels. Um, we had to bottle it a little bit earlier than we wanted just because the new winery and moving and all this kind of shit. Um, so once a bottle a little bit younger, we would prefer to keep it in barrel a little longer, but for a first go, it's, this uh, is the bright, first one, very first one. Okay. Yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't figured out how to tell the story. Exactly. <laughs> People getting the yeah. feedback. Even this the one why he's here. Even he's telling the story right now. Agree, 13 <laughs> years in, I haven't figured it out yeah, exactly. yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Jenny's for. <laughs> is, so is this current release? Current release, yes. Yeah, the, the ones, so I guess I, sh- I should have mentioned all this. So let's do the whole thing. Sure. Tell us about Jolie Lane. Exactly. So <laughs> we say Jolie Lane. It's anglicized to Jolie. If you're saying it correctly, if you're saying it French, and what's the, what's the one you guys make? Autotet? Autotet. Yeah. We, um, make a, we have a few crazy French names we throw out there. If you were saying it correctly, you say Jolie Led, almost like Led Zeppelin. Okay, Jolie so, Led. So yeah. Jolie is pretty, Led is ugly. We say we also say Jolie Led, and I've, we've heard every distorted Jolly, Lottie, Lod, Laid, like Laid. Jolly, Lottie. Like, oh, yeah, we've, we've heard name. it all. Um, People don't realize that is also not our names, of course. So what that means is it's pretty and ugly. So idiomatically, it's unconventionally attractive, sort of different but good. It's Aligote, not Chard, Gamay, not Pinot. Yeah. It's it's reserved for a woman who's different looking but prettier because of it. So she's just unique. Um, so we obviously, that's not something we made up. We just, you know, I read it years ago in a book and applied it to the fact that we're not going to make Cab and Pinot. Um and like I said, this all kind of happened in the Napa days. So it's obscure varieties, a name that no one really knows how to say or what it means. Uh, we do, not strange to us, but strange to some people, you know, skin contact on some whites, not the Elegote, but you'll see when we get into Trousseau Gris. Um, we do Carbonic on the light reds, like Trousseau and Gamay, all whole cluster on Syrah. And then to like really push it, we do change the artwork completely every yes. year. Yeah, we haven't talked about the artwork. <laughs> it was... Again, so this whole Napa thing, when I got to Napa, when you're when you're ordering a lot of European wines, people are hyper-cognizant about vintage. And in Napa, no one fucking cared. And I was like, it's so strange. How come no one cares if it's 11, 12, or 13? You know, bring me Camus, bring me Duckhorn, bring me whatever. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, okay, got it. The big guys work really hard for it to be the same every single year. Every so when you go to the grocery store or wherever you buy wine, it's always going to taste the same. And that drove me nuts because it's an agricultural product and it's not supposed to taste the same. So we force that idea onto people that it's never the same. We're not trying to make it the same. No. Every year is going to be different. And does it confuse the hell out of people? Yes, of course. Even people way smarter than me. Like when we first started, Jasmine Hirsch was like, don't do that. That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And I was like, too late. I already did it. Like, here we go. And in the beginning, you know, finding artwork, you know, getting three or four pieces out of somebody, that's a little bit easier. Now we're make like 16 different wines. So getting yeah. that much out of one person so like this all you've recognized that it's all the same this is all sarah jarrett who's amazing yeah uh like i said this was sabrina grassi it's it's been mostly women i've done some of the labels myself um but it's artists from all over the world now um we're about to do so the things we're bottling right now is actually didn't you do a year with an amazing organization in oakland I was just um, gonna say, yeah. Okay, good. Talk about it. Creative growth. The creative growth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They Talk actually reached out, so they're it's their fiftieth anniversary. Um, so we're just now in bottling new, new wines. So it's it's sixteen different artists from Creative Growth. So if anyone doesn't know, it's a nonprofit. It's a an art center for artists with disabilities in Oakland. So it's a full like art studio. Every medium you could think of painting, wood cutting, like everything, 
and then a gallery attached to it, and they sell the art. That pays the artist and, the, and pays for the gallery. Um, they've had the building for 20-plus years. It's the only way they could do it, but it's a, an amazing organization, and it, it's just it's great to be able to feature that. Um, Repeat it one more time. Creative Growth. Creative, creativegrowth.org, O-R-G. Um, it's, it's an amazing space. I was just down there meeting a lot of the artists and picking out some art for this upcoming series. So it'll be the second time. That yeah, because you did that four or five years ago. Correct. Yeah. And then do you pay them for the artwork or you get it? Oh, of course. Like, or, okay. Some's been done, like we've had things drawn exclusively for us. Some's been a combination of the two. Um, it, it started to get more serious. It was probably when, maybe even creative growth when we actually had to start signing contracts and right. and pay per unit and you know confirm that we're not going to put it on t-shirts or make it our logo on our website or anything it's it's this is the only place we can use the artwork right. that kind of stuff so we're buying the rights to the art like even yeah. this one sabrina she's still one of my favorite um, i actually can we open that bottle to you to get a yeah, I, wasn't so sure I, we were, I think we should open think, that or not i think okay. that um James Joyner, or uh, mutual friend James Joyner, uh, has secured a bottle that he's holding on to. So let's open this one. Okay, cool. I want to see what's happening. I, I, oh. I, have, I have more. I can okay. find more. Very good. Um, <laughs> so this painting, as an example, like the original, is massive and it's on my wall. Oh, cool. So she sent it to me from Italy. Um, she's Her painting is amazing. So I bought the original of this and another one um, in a wood crate with a certificate, all the things. Um, and I, I think that year was probably like six pieces of art from her. And I think I paid 1500 bucks total or something like that. Like you can go into like weird coffee shops and look at the wall and you get a little close. You're like, what the fuck? That's $800? Like what's wrong with you? Her paintings right. are so amazing and affordable. Huh. I've felt like over the years um, there's been art that you've chosen that I wish hadn't gone away. And actually, I think that this might be one of them. Um, Every year somebody like, says... It's got to be really hard sometimes to let go of some of these. I mean, sure. it's, it's the sort of challenge of the what you've given it. Like, and there's some that were just... You know, I mean, obviously, they're all great and have... But there's some that just... Know, like, Every year... some hooks on it, right? Every year somebody says something like, this one's my favorite, or, you know, that last one was my favorite. I mean, I can't please everyone, of course. Right, no. And it, there's been some... I mean, that's what's cool about it also. It's like right. every vintage is different. It's the fucking point. You know, we did I it. mean, at, at Imagery... Um, yeah, totally. they same kind of concept. What I always thought was interesting is Bob Nugent used to talk about some pieces we'd see the artwork f first, and there'd be times you go, "That's it," and he goes, "It doesn't look good as on a label." Do you have that right. same oh, right. sort of thing? Sure, totally. Because when you shrink things down, right? The you know all the geeky things that people don't realize, like your actual label panel, how much right. space you have. If people right. are trying to send you art that's really vertical, right. it doesn't work. Right, right. It's it is a complicated. There's nuance to it for yeah. sure, um, and, and do the artists usually want some wine and of course, yeah, return and any of the ones oh, gladly always. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's been a few. We actually even got we got some wine to a woman in the UK. Um, we did a series recently with a woman in Montreal. We did a series with Brian Gaberman, who's an amazing photographer. Period. But he was also um, a skateboard, like a pretty famous, well-known skateboard photographer. Lives in Sebastopol, so it's been all over the place. Yeah, really. I mean. Do you have do you have like a library of them all somewhere you could like look and see all of them at once? It needs to maybe now that we have the new space. Yeah, you should like that'll, that'll be a cubicle it. that you could sit in that has all the labels. We, we do try to keep <laughs> okay. a little bit of every label, yeah, like yeah. a roll of it. I, I'm not positive we have every single one, but we do try to. How, so okay, wallpaper. In, the in, since 2010, how many different pieces of art do you know? 
I don't know. I could do some real fuzzy math. I'm, we're here for fuzzy math. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know. Make it. And so we haven't even talked about it yet, but um, so Jenny and I come from very, very different backgrounds. Um, and we are very, you know, very left and right brain. So Jenny literally keeps everything together and I deal with all the artwork. I, you know, was, whether I was artistic or autistic as a kid, I'm not sure, but. Where did I, you guys meet? Artistic. <laughs> I was one of them. And so I think this is just a creative outlet as well. And I get to like really scour and looking for different artists to present. Yeah. Um, so Jenny and I met, um, so totally different backgrounds. As you know, I came from restaurants. Jenny, um, she went to Villanova, got a chemistry degree. Uh, and then was making pharmaceuticals in Philadelphia. Okay. Somebody gifted her a wine class, I believe, at the Phil Philadelphia Wine School. And uh, she was so compelled. She was like, oh, interesting. There's a lot of science in wine. She came to Davis, yeah. got her master's here, and then started working in wine here, worked at a bunch of wineries around here, went all over, did New Zealand and South Africa and, and other. Um, we met in 2013. Okay. Um, I'm sorry we didn't get here get her here with you. you know? Oh, she loves sending me into the yeah. wolves. Okay. Got it. Enough said. <laughs> and and wi without without exaggeration, she literally is on her computer right now. Okay. She's like getting shit done. Yeah. I probably have 14 emails okay. from her already. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but we, so we always both had our own job that we'd go to during the day. And then yeah. this was always the thing we'd come home to is the side hustle. We'd come, okay. you know, did you see that email? Did you pay that invoice? Com you know, computers come out, all that kind of thing. Until we got to a point where it was sizable enough that eventually I seceded from the job that I had. And then a couple okay. years later, we needed desperately to get her out of her full-time job. Right. Um, but she's works at a bunch of wineries around here. And so we do, you know, people ask about the winemaking. It's 100% both of us always. Yeah. And now we have Bailey and Schaefer also. So we have two people in the cellar with us. And then we also have uh, this really great dude, David McCarris, who's helping us with sales. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. So we're a, a full team now. Yeah. And new to your new facility. Brand new new facility. Yeah. Took over this that old. First vintage, right? First vintage. And it went swimmingly. Um, not having. Roommates are fun until they're not fun. And sure. We all did that when we were younger. Yeah. Um, I was the bad roommate in every situation. I'm pretty sure. Like leaving shit in the sink uh, all the time. 100%. The sink. The smoking the sink, weed. The sink would be an improvement, I think. Are you one of those people that, that, that thinks that your dishes have to soak? <laughs> yeah, exactly. For days. Oh no, we gotta soak those. No, you don't. There's a fucking brush right there. You put them in the dishwasher. I've never even thought about that. We, when we were in the, the Sebastopol space, we were all getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And like you already mentioned, Martha was there, Capiello was there, you know, Rain is there, Carlo and Mel. Like there was a bunch of us. And as we all grew, we're all kind of like. Who's gonna budge? Like who's who's gonna who's gonna leave eventually? And I kind of assumed it would be the Mandavi. Like I thought, right. or Martha, somebody was gonna go, right. and it just wasn't happening. So that Santa Rosa thing started. So we started to kind of uh, divest interest into that. Unfortunately, it burned down, which was horrible. It was a, such a murder of a vintage. Um, and then we moved into a Healdsburg space, the old Ramey building, actually, right in town in Healdsburg for two years, ah. and then while we worked on this one. So we just got the keys in April and we were ready in August. And we were very smart to um, use Robert Morris, who you probably know, he owns Ground Crew. Um, he's A, an amazing dude, but also brilliant as an engineer by trade, but he's built several wineries, including what is now Punch Down, the original Copan, actual Copan, and now his own. And he kind of like, 
puppet mastered the whole thing. The contractors kept everyone on time, on date, and everything. Did you get would, good drains? That's we what got I great know. drains. Um, it's the the one thing that the landlords actually shared with us. It's the one thing we can't rip out of there if okay. we decide to fold shop. Right. Okay. Um, so they they shared the drains. So yeah, we have two long drains. But Robert was like he couldn't have been greater about helping us get this place built. Yeah. Um, because I would have totally fucked so much shit up. That's something that we, I don't think we've ever talked about on the like podcast. A seller, a is seller like design. how to, yeah, ergonomically. How to build a wine. It's, it's um, yeah. you, you know, actually we did, uh, who was it that worked about for? Gravity um, Flow? Ravenswood for so long. Um, uh, Joel Peterson. No. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Mathis. Peter Mathis. Oh, Peter. Yeah. Peter Mathis is known to be oh, the he great seems like wine, kind of, you know. d- winery designer. And right. he doesn't talk about it, but... You know, um, he's helped design a couple yeah. wineries, including the massive Ravenswood, um, uh, the quarry, the quarry. You know, so um, thankfully yeah. ours is is very simple and lo-fi, yeah. but also the dynamic change. I'm extremely frugal on some things. Maybe I spend way too much money on wine, but whatever. Well, um, that's, but yeah. like when you go, you make wine. When you go into the space, like somebody was just there two days ago, and they're like, "Oh my god, it's like literally everything's brand new." Not the case at all. Right. It got a paint job and it got some walls replaced and that kind of thing. If you saw it as a bakery, you would not eat the right. breads. Um, <laughs> Oops. But people uh, don't think about that when, like, I've opened um, restaurants before and the, there's the architects and designers. Oh, yeah. And so everyone has a different idea. They want to make it look pretty, but not necessarily functional. I've so just, just a simple example is the coffee station. Like, you want to have your coffee maker, then you want to have your shelf with the coffee cups right there. You want to have your refrigerator that holds the cream, something that has your sugar crudes right there, and then your spoons. And so when you're doing a winery, I imagine it's kind of like the same thing. Guy. Like you, totally. you, you want to be, you, you want to minimize movement at all. If you can reach out blindly behind you and grab something because you know it's right there, that's kind of what you want. I have very strong opinions on this that I'll hold to myself for another show. <laughs> So, like well, I said, then don't we, say anything. <laughs> we got no, very. We'll have another show about it. Okay. We got very lucky. We were looking at a spot in Healdsburg for a little bit, and it was only ten thousand square feet. And we were like really moving in that direction. We went to go look at a winery in Sebastopol that was moving out, um, and the space was kind of a dump. And we started looking at A Street, whatever. But the the winery thought somebody was going to come in and turnkey the space with all the equipment in it. And as that timeline truncated, I was like, "So what are you guys doing?" With all this equipment. They're like, oh, fuck, we need to start selling this stuff. And so what, you know, we doubled the amount of tanks that we were going to buy. We were going to have West Tech build tanks. We're like, all right, we'll take all of those. We'll take all of those. The catwalk, a dollar a foot. Just cut it out. Like, get it out of here. So we didn't plan to have a catwalk. We didn't plan to have a compressed air and air compressor with with punch-down devices. Yeah. Um, we, yeah like, the dynamic changed. Yeah. Um, we didn't plan. We have two 4,600-gallon tanks. We didn't even use them yet. They're just like there in case, like when we get there. Right. Um, the only thing we bought new in that whole space was a press because we couldn't find a used one and the table to go with it. The great thing about it is now is what they used to do is they used to say, okay, here's the land. Here's where we're going to build everything. Where do the trucks come in? Because the trucks are going to dump into the hopper and then we got to get it from there to the press or to the tanks. Right. Now, the way winery equipment has changed is everything's movable. 
Right you're not the, using the press push press out of the way. Definitely. It's not your your destemmer is not built into concrete like it used to be, Brian. Right. You know, um, if you need to pump something somewhere, you pump it a short distance or you dump yeah. it in, and and so that dynamic works great for a big open warehouse um, because you can you you have an open area that you can design well, different times of the year you're doing different things so you want to be able to utilize right. space so that you can have it right. for that time of and we we looked at a lot of spaces and and to your point that's the very first thing i always look at can we get trucks in here yeah. it's like the most important and i've looked at some where people are like oh that's gonna be amazing we looked at one in petaluma and i'm like where's your, where's your forklift gonna take grapes off the truck where are you gonna do that at, um, at Kenwood, we had we'd do three thousand tons a year, and every set of doubles that came in, you had to have the forklift pick it up and pick it up and side shift it about ten times so it could make a corner. Yeah, <laughs> it's like moving <laughs> a couch up and we have around a stairs. massive parking lot, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. and sure, we're looking at like because it's just a big warehouse district. Uh, we're looking at you know treasury right across from us, right? But big trucks can get in and out. It's yeah. it's great. The best. Yeah. You watch a lot of big trucks every day. Going every day. Out of that but if you're, if you would like, you've been to our space. If you go on the other side of the building or um, you said you were making wine on the other side of the building at Obsidian, yeah. like everyone's got their bins outside and their other shit outside and great yeah, trucks where we are trying to go both forever. directions. Yeah. And Stone Edge Farm. Stone right? Edge. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Came like that, that yeah. middle row yeah. is torture. Like we have so much room on the oh, other absolutely. side. It's great. Yeah, uh, we didn't even we yeah, didn't do that intentionally. It just worked out yeah, that there's way. There's no place for employees to park, and someone always parks in front of the grape bin. And like got a Ty Kane, whatever his name Phil is, like throwing a party mid harvest. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, so true, so agree. <laughs> true, so agree. So, we'll like I said, contact. little speed I mean, contact. You can yeah, see yeah, it. aromatics beautiful on this color. wine are like. Yeah. If uh, you know, obviously, people are listening, mm. so they can't see. But if you if you saw the the vineyard and the fruit on the vine. Um, it's so pretty because just like Pinot Gris to Pinot Noir, this is the degree version of Trousseau Noir, yeah. but it's every kind of myriad of light to dark pink to even light purple. <sighs> so cool. And so when you see that, we wanted to bring some of that to the people who are going to be drinking it. It's technically more of a textural component. That's why we put it on the skins, but color is kind of a happy accident. It does lift the aromatics quite a bit, but it it's mostly just like a phenolic change, like texturally. Yeah. What you get, it's like a, it's like a, such a subtle chalk um, when it warms up a little bit on in your mouth, it's just got this little the, texture. The finish of this wine is like blowing my mind right now. Right, because it just doesn't end. Doesn't end at like I'm trying to figure out what that flavor. It's like blood orange, like chalky blood. I, I, yeah. And at, like I said, every year it's different. Um, you know, we is that because of skin maturity? Every year, I mean, skin maturity. We've done, you know, in the very first year. So back in 2010, it's still when we were sharing the the small space with Arnold Roberts and Duncan, whose favorite wines in California and favorite winemaker in California. But um, he looked over at me, and I was in the bin stepping on it. And to me, I'm thinking of all the great Gruner producers and stuff. So you're taking a wine that would almost be forgettable on the palate and just kind of like adding some texture to it. And usually, they'd put it in a press for everyone has their own recipe: three hours, six hours, twelve hours. Um, before they turn the cycle on. And so I jumped in the bin and stepped on the grapes, and Duncan's like, what are you doing? Are you cold, whole cluster cold-soaking trusa green? I was like, I think so. Yeah. We did it We did it overnight that first year, and then the, really? the next year it was like two days, and we went as far as five days. We never had glycol before, so we didn't have temperature control. Um, so like in 2015, I think it was only on the skins for a day and a half, but it started to ferment. Yeah. And so I think it dropped from like 22 to 16, and if you if you were to pour that wine, it was like way more kind of romato coppered color, way more tannin texture. Oh, and so it starts to be a, an alcoholic 
Macerate. That's the two, the two things. So it's yeah. it's aqueous. It's sugar and water because we just cold soak it. We don't ferment on the skins. Right. And there's tons of ethereal mm-hmm. orange wine, skin fermented wines. Those are interesting to me, but right. working in restaurants for so many years, and whether it's the Grabners, the Radicons, and all the all the names people know, it's always you, you, you say the same thing. You're like, oh, that's really interesting. It's like it's fascinating. It's so textural, but we need like food to match that. Right. And so you drink like this much of it in a tasting menu, but totally. so I want the satiability of wanting to like house the whole bottle if you want to. Yeah. At the same time, I want the visceral mouthfeel that you said that keeps going. It's not just like it's not yeah. muscadet or rosé that just disappears immediately. Yeah, those orange wines are they're fun when you have like like you said cheese or charcuterie, and it's kind of cool. It's like doing the banyols and chocolate or or a. Um, Ikem with uh, blue cheese, like there's, you know, that it makes your mouth do these cool, funny things. But right. um, I mean, this wine would pass the Gallo test, right? Like the orange wine is going to be left over. This the, one, the Gallo test is the favorite wine is the one that's empty. Oh yeah, no, right. This and this right. will be empty, and the orange wines will still have some left for sure in it. Yeah. And this, if if somebody doesn't know what an orange wine is, or skin contact, or whatever, um, this is definitely a you know, sort of a gateway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you pour this for most people totally blind. They would think it's a rosé. They drink it and think it's fucking delicious. And we actually make Pinot Gris the same way. And if uh, so many times people are like, man, that might be the favorite wine from you, but it's fucking Pinot Gris. And you, people have been so um, tortured what, what by like, shitty a, Pinot Gris yeah, over the a, years that they're just like mentally like, no, uh, I hate Pinot Gris. Yeah. But if you just called it rosé. Rided variety. What you, how, would, how would you describe Pinot Gris in the market? It's just like totally. it's the garbage wine. Of, of yes. the, you know, Santa, Santa like Margarita. the Santa Margarita. I know, I exactly. should say names. Right. right. Well, I think you can say that name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody's... Or who makes a good one? Ancien? Ancien? You guys ever had that? Sure. Pinot Gris? Yeah. yeah. And that was... The, so, in the restaurants, every once in a while, somebody would drink something like Viognier, but then Pinot, this is how I started with Pinot Gris, um, whether it was Etude, Sinsky... Ancien, like Pinot Gris was one of these varieties. And often Pinot Gris to me can be kind of like circus Pinot-y, if you remember those kind of marshmallowy candies. Yeah. And I didn't love it, yeah. but we were skin fermenting Pinot Gris for the old Wingap wine. Mm-hmm. And there was some extra tonnage, so I took a ton. Did the same thing that we were doing on True Sugar, and it was delicious. Yeah. And we just kept that going. Just the aqueous, kind of the totally. non-alcoholic sure. maturation. Yeah, because once there's once there's heat and or alcohol then it's soluble and you're gonna grab a lot of tannin right. so we avoid we're just like tiptoeing into those waters no I, I, it's the uh, uh philippe combi approves right. of this of oh, this. long cold soaks yeah the long the long cold soak we do that on the on the grenache that is cold do like seven to you know and as soon as it starts fermenting then you like kick into gear but if you keep it cold as long as you can and let that you know that skin Macerate and just in the water and the sugar. Sure, yeah, special stuff. I mean, you put a tea bag in cold water and you put a tea bag in hot water and see the difference. Like, right. Right. like that heat and alcohol it extracts a lot. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know what? You made me think of something when you said Sinsky. Does anyone know what happened to Sinsky? I mean, I I heard that, I, or I think I remember they got sold. But I rode my bike by the other day, and it's like the winery's been Shuttered? raised. It's oh, like I, I haven't I haven't seen it Is in a while. I, Someone's I obviously going in and tearing it apart and putting it back together. Oh, it definitely, yeah, it got purchased. Um, but I, I know I was just in Napa yesterday, actually, and I saw they have a sign up for an office down there somewhere. So yeah. I don't, I don't know where they're making yeah. the wines currently. 
I, I always love those wines. I, I, and I don't even know who purchased them. I hope mm. it wasn't someone. I mean, that, that also destroy it. Goes back to the Napa day. So when I moved here and you met all of the people, so me working in the restaurant, everybody would come in. Even you know, Bob and Marguerite Mandavi, and yeah. and you, so you you put you finally put a name to the face. Right. And there was the people, and I'm not going to name names. Well, I can name the nice people. There was like the Schaefer right. and, <laughs> and and even Joel God. And, and like there were so many people that were amazing. Right. And then there were some real like bad people right. that right. would treat the staff horribly. Yeah. There was people that like literally wouldn't even look you in the eyes. They would just complain all the time. And then as soon as they're like, oh, hey, um, I'd love to meet you. You know, I want to sell you some wine. I'm like, yeah, we've met like 12 yeah. times. Right. You've, right. Never, yeah. you've never once looked at me. Right. Yeah. And so it was just, yeah, it's it's pretty revealing yeah I, i'm sure i'm sure it's but but bob and uh maria like they were great yeah i actually met her on a cookbook tour years ago in oh, chicago it's awesome yeah they're awesome people where should we go for first reds i'm thinking i, I brought this here? one because um i heard you mention cabernet pfeffer so that is trousseau cab pfeffer Gamay, Valdigui, and Pulsart all together so i haven't even poured it in the glass i just smelled it when i popped the cork and it kind of I'm totally intrigued. <laughs> so I, oh I wanted to ask is about... Our, is this our f- podcast first Cabernet Pfeffer? I would say it probably uh, is, yes. Um, you were part... So my neighbor is Mike Hanghold. And you, I think you bought some um, Gamay, true Gamay this year. Were you in on that thing? We we, we have a lot of Gamay. But, but from here in Sonoma? Uh, we... We do have some in Sonoma. We have some on that property I talked about on Sweetwater. Right. We have some so, in Fountain Grove. Okay, this so was a vineyard. Even more up, going in. Vineyard up on this side of the, on the valley. A nope. guy thought he had Pinot Noir, and it was actually. I, I did hear somebody say this, but no, it was you not didn't, us. Oh, because you were the guy I told him to call. Because I figured if anyone <laughs> would want it, it would. That was someone who'd want it. Who oh knows. yeah. I wonder who bought. No, so we, well, Tom Darling bought some. Okay. And and I thought that I, I guess I know Byron Kasugi obviously right, has a little Byron bit at the shop and. Um, there's a little bit over here. We've we we actually have a big property going well, in with. Well, so this more. is a Pinot property on on the on Sonoma Mountain. So DNA tested as Gamay, not and, and it was it was supposed to be Pinot, and it was DNA tested as Gamay. Oh, interesting, because yeah. there is that um, he, that Beaujolais clone of Pinot, right? And I'm, again, I won't name names, but I've known people who label it as Gamay, right. and it's actually Pinot. No, th- that's that's why he did the research, because he could never find anybody that liked the wine as Pinot. They all wanted to make rosé out of it, and he was really frustrated, so he had it Tested. checked. Yeah. And, it was, uh, and that story happens all the time, right. obviously. Um, the Malone that we take was thought to be Pinot Gris, uh, or sorry, oh. the Malone we take was thought to be um, Pinot Blanc. Um, so all the time, huh. like there, yeah. there's Bianchetta Trevignano that we made one year that they thought was Vernachon and they sent it in and it came back as Bianchetta. Like that, it happens all the time. Uh, yeah, that's cool. But anyway, okay, never mind then. So I, I didn't get that Gamay. So we, um, we do, we've done Gamay for years. Same thing was that underdog thing. When I was working in restaurants and um, I got introduced to you know Beaujolais and, and all the crews and Village and all that stuff, and I just love that wine. And sure, even go further back to the history of them being ostracized from Burgundy, the, the variety being ostracized from Burgundy and this inferiority complex that they have. And some Beaujolais producers want to make wines that are very Burgundian and serious. Right. And others want to make fun, irreverent, juicy, delicious. Right. And they're they're both great. Right. Um, so I became fascinated with Gamay um, once I got here. I remember working like in the, the cab house. I told people I want to make Gamay. And I told people I want to make Rosé, too. And both times, they're like, Why? 
Why would you? Why would you want to do that? Right. Cabernet is king. Right. Um, but the the winemaker at the time, Mike Herbie, graciously, he actually took me out to the old Freddie Ani Vineyard to look at Valdigui, um, obviously, aka Napa Gamay back in the day. Right. Um, and <laughs> old man Freddie Ani, you know, threw us on the tractor and we drove around, and looked at it, and they did. It's like they don't even touch it. They don't farm it. They don't do a single thing. So they it just it, it just grows. They prune it. Grow. They prune it. Okay. That's it. Um, and then he's like, "How much do you want?" I was like, "You know, half a ton or whatever it was." I just want to play around. He's like, "Oh Jesus, no! This is it's like twenty tons. It all goes to E two. Oh God! It goes in the rosé." He's like, "We're not going to deal with you, kid." Um, <laughs> so we we waited. So Steve Edmonds, and you guys have probably all had Edmonds St. John, who's a legend, but he took Ron Mansfield to Beaujolais years ago. And he was like, look, man, pink granite. This is what you have in, in El Dorado. You should be growing Gamay in California. Mm. So they came back with material, put it in. Mm. Um, I actually... A little like suitcase... Uh, I believe so. Don't quote me on that. Legend has it. Legend, yeah. Right. Um, I think the statute of limitations is up. Okay. <laughs> Probably. Um, I reached out to Steve, uh, who famously has always made, made wine in the East Bay. And I've always liked his wines, his Shiraz, everything. And he met me at, um, it's like two doors over from Shape and I'm forgetting the name of the place. But so we sat at the bar, hanging out for a while, you know, tell him how much I like him and his wines, whatever. And I was like, man, I really like that gamay. Can I have some? And he very politely like laughed me off. He was like, no chance. It took me years to get that in the ground. There's like no way you're going to get some. Right. So then we started working with the grower to, to expand on the planting. So we took an old Pinot Gris vineyard and turned that all into gamay. So... Uh, Arnett Roberts, or what was at the time, Raj and Arnett Roberts did that RPM label. Right. And so we we started with one ton, uh, and then it turned into three and four, and then you know now we get something like twenty five or thirty tons of Gamay that we split between red and okay. rosé. Okay. But part of the component in here is we've lost that. Yeah, we all had fires, but El Dorado had those fires three years in a row, so we keep losing that component. That's why Valdigui came back into here, because okay. we kept losing Gamay. Because that was what it was, is that Valdigui and what was thought was Gamay was a lot of times Valdigui, yep. correct? That's what they called Napa Gamay. Napa yeah. Gamay. And, and, and people would said, oh, I'm making Gamay, but it wasn't. It was Valdigay. And, and they are different, right? They're, I mean, they're totally different. But yeah. if, if we were sitting at the winery, if I pulled a barrel sample of Valdigay, especially the way we make it, we force it carbonic. Right. It is so red-fruited and juicy, really? you yeah. would think it's Gamay. Yeah. But that's people's argument sometimes with carbonic, because you could have, like, uh, Reeve makes a Pinot that's carbonic that kind of tastes like Gamay. Um, okay. Mike Lucio from Root Down did a Sangio that was carbonic that was very Gamay-like. So people do say it kind of like obliterates terroir because they all have that same kind of fruity overtone. Right. But it's fucking delicious. So yeah. We still do it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I remember, I remember, I think the first time I had Valdeguier, I had called it Valdeguier, was the Talisman. And I was trying to find a way to fit it onto the Girl in the Fig wine list. But so I like... like this Pinot. No, well, no, they 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 make a Valdeguier. There was probably some Pinot that they were getting. Like, I don't know. Was, and so, like, I I even had to like I down. found a place in Southern Rhone where someone was growing some. So I was trying to sell so Sandra, and I'm Sandra. like, hey, this is it could be a Rhone varietal. <laughs> no, just, and it it looks on the vine. On the, it's it, not on the poster, Brian. Big clusters. It looks like it's going to be like dark and dense, like almost uh -huh. like petite straw or something. And it's not at all. It's like so red fruited and spicy. Hmm. It, it weirdly is one of a, like the best ferments. You want this? Yeah. All right. So we, we made our lives even worse. So two years ago, and as is often, the, the artwork was very ornate. Um, and legally, um, 
I'll confess now that we do a lot of things that are not technically legal on the labels. Um, but legally, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, how could you get worse? This? How could you do <laughs> such a thing? Yeah. Um, so this is one of those examples where we actually did something correct. Is if you're not going to, if you're going to name all the varieties, you have to put all the percentages and all this kind of nebulous information, and it's getting worse as we all know it's coming. Um, so we just called it red wine, uh, which has created even more confusion because people assume that it's like Merlot or Zinfandel or something. No. Um, but no, so this is Trousseau from three different vineyards, um, Cab Pfeffer from uh, San Benito, um, also Trousseau from San Benito, and Trousseau from Lake County, um, Trousseau from Sonoma County, um, Valdi from Sassoon, Gamay from Sonoma, and <laughs> El Dorado. And what else is in there? Fuck, so you're driving. Oh, uh, we're, we, between us, so we have some friends we make some wine for too, some really good friends, and yeah. AKA clients, that we, between the two of us, like the, the war board is something like 50 plus vineyards, but, you know, spread over eight counties or whatever. Yeah. So we go to Yorkville, Mendo, we've gone to Lake, we've gone, we go down to Shalone for Malone, so Basic Pinnacles, a lot in San Benito. I spent a lot of time in a flatbed. Yeah. Well, you didn't bring them alone, but can you just talk a little bit about it? Because I've had a lot of it. Um. <laughs> Over the years? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've only and, really had French ones, though. I've had very few right. California. I don't know. Maybe how, Hardy back in what he used to that's, make it. It's, it's the same fruit. Um, the same that was the thing. Hardy it, introduced me to it. Okay. So, so is that is that Shalone or that's Shalone? It's Shalone. Yeah. So it's not the the actual Shalone Vineyard. It's next right, door. Right. So it changed hands. The name changed. Um, Bill Brousseau was farming it forever. And, okay, yeah. Um, but Hardy also works with Brousseau. And, and so all those vineyards, um, so where does it go? It goes Brousseau. Um, I'm forgetting the gentleman's name in the middle. And then what was Antle and Alcohol Rodnick. Um, Michaud. Michaud's in the middle. Michael. Um, mm-hmm. It's all kind of contiguous. Right. Uh, often not even fence lines. They all kind of just kind of runs together. Um, that area is amazing but you know there's a reason that so dick graff originally the original shalone um josh jensen when he started calera all these guys wanted to replicate burgundy and there's very little limestone in california and so they went after limestone and when you when you drive there um because you're you drive into soledad you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and you start driving up the hill um so it's literally the base of pinnacles you're driving into pinnacles national park and when you're going up you're like why would anyone plant grapes here it looks like a high desert and, but you do have the elevation, you do have the big diurnal swing, but you have limestone, that's what they were after. Hmm. So Pinot, this many years later, in hindsight, probably not the best choice, but Rhone varieties do amazingly, right. whites that we're picking early. And there's it does do a weird thing, because you think Malone, like it does get hot out there, it's a pretty warm place, but as we know, you get to 100 degrees and things shut down. Right. So when you have this big diurnal swing with really hot days, they're shut down during the day and then they're not doing anything at night because it's cold. So the, the ripening is actually stunted. So you think it's going to like ripen really fast and it doesn't. Yeah. Huh. We still pick it. We pick that at like 18 and a half though. And then you still like the fog that when it gets 100 degrees at that end of the Salinas Valley, it sucks that fog right out of Monterey Bay. Yep. So totally. it must cool it down. Does it get foggy? Well, you're, you're above the fog. You're above line. the fog, but yeah. it just makes it cold. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting because when you're driving south, all the focus is on your right, right to the west. Because right. all those massive vineyards, Santa Lucia Highlands, Highlands yeah. but that's you know, it, it is what it is. But the interesting stuff is on the other side. You can't which even see it. You can't even from, see it, right. and you so you have a hard time imagining where it's at. You definitely can't see it. You right. have to drive. Right, it's you like have, a twenty-five minute right. drive up the hill. Yeah, right. and I think people sometimes go, "Oh, well, in Soledad, that must be around here," and you look over at you know 
that other side. Cool that is like it's one exit, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a farming yeah. town. Yeah, There's a couple taquerias and a, a Starbucks, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. It's all happening there. It's, all it's happening in Solidad. Yeah, <laughs> that's, exactly totally right. the, that's the sign. The, the billboard forever. <laughs> so yeah, Hardy Hardy Wallace, who is amazing, he introduced me to that for years ago. Um, Dick Graff planted it again. Really? Oh, Hardy? Hardy yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> haven't done anybody this whole. <laughs> no, but for, no so, dinging for so episode. long, it's There's like all these old. It's it dinging's all the old guys, right? Yeah, we got Hardy. Give Hardy love. He's a neighbor now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hardy's amazing. Big fan. Um, so are we. <laughs> um, so, like I said, Dick, Dick Graff years ago, who unfortunately died a long time ago, but he's kind of a legend. He was like one of the pioneers of bringing actual Burgundian barrels over and barrel fermenting Chardonnay and all this kind of stuff. I actually found Dick Graff's Daily Planner Seriously? at a at a um, at a phone booth. I could, I'll tell you the time. And it was the phone booth was um, Arnold Drive at Grove, the Chevron station. I stopped. I used to stop there, and I would call my girlfriend at the time and say, "Hey, I'm halfway home from the winery." And I found his his uh, day planner, and it was full of stuff. And I found a business card, and I contacted whoever it was. I contacted him, and then someone came. I met him at Kenwood. They came and picked up his day planner, and they brought me a case of Edna Valley Semion. Wow! <laughs> as a thank you. Um, so I always I always thought about that guy, you know. And then when he died, yeah, and he died plane crash. Yeah. Violently, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. like Dagano, yeah, uh, um, yeah, same thing like Dagano, like a one of like an experimental aircraft. Thing? I can't, no? okay, <laughs> that would be fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, so it must have been while he was working on. He was well, it was it was Harmony with Jeff Baker. Harmony. Well, at that time also they had purchased what is now Lassiter, right? Oh, right. And, and remember they wanted to, and this would so have been so the when time. Was this this was. This was, was like the early '90s or something. I'm trying to remember when they this had. This was the early '90s when yeah. they bought. When they bought, what well, was it was called Grand Cru. Right? It was called Grand Cru, and at Kenwood we used to store wine at the old Grand Cru, right? Uh, in all the, in the, there was a tank farm out there, and and Shalone had purchased it, and they were going to build little casitas down there. Fascinating was what we were told, and it was just going to be a bottling plant, and there's a school there, right? The um, Dunbar School. And the parents of Glen Ellen came up with a, uh, a bumper sticker that was um, Carmenet, don't crush our kids. And they didn't want them bringing in all the tanker trucks and the glass trucks down the driveway okay. because of the school. And, and Shalone, therefore, walked away from it. And then the Lasters ended up with it years later. Crazy. Yeah. And they bring the trucks in now. Yeah, no, because they're in a state no, winery. In a state winery. Yeah. Not a lot right. of trucks coming. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's trucks, uh, you know, a little bit. A little bit of enterprise stuff. A little enterprise but, trucks yeah. coming from uh, from the other, you know, the but, satellite vineyards. Yeah. Well, it's a tight area back there. It's just is. But well, that's, what, that's why. Cool. I mean, you know, it's, it's like one of the oldest elementary schools in yeah. college. That's why Purple was like that. They didn't want all the trucks coming in. So that's why they couldn't actually crush grapes there. Um, and you listen to like. Also a big fan of the the Bedrock actual podcast that Chris right. does. Um, he did that Pat Wurz interview, which was yeah. great. But you hear how much how much wine they were making in San Benito in that area? Yeah. Like how many trucks were coming in and out? Insane. Crazy. I'm going to grab this. Around. All right. So this, um, I will say, so um, 
and I could pretty much say it about all the wines, we tend to pick things earlier conservatively. And just because I say early doesn't always mean by bricks. So like when you're pouring something like Syrah, if it's a cold site like Yorkville, we're still picking end of September, beginning of October. It's still only 22 bricks. Uh, we like to keep acid fresh. We don't want to have to add it later. Uh, everything's, you know, we don't inoculate. We foot stomp everything. Everything's whole cluster. We do all the light reds, anything that's of the same ilk. So Gamay and Trousseau and Pulsard, Valdigui, those kinds of things. We do force them all carbonically. I mean, we have, we all probably accomplish that in different ways. We have kind of a way that we've, we've fabricated over the years and found successful for us um, because we, especially with the whole cluster, we like the lifted aromatics and it's not on the skins as long. So it keeps tanning down and keeps it fresher only in barrel for like six, eight months. And then Syrahs and Grenache and that kind of stuff. It's just full bore, foot stomp, flip, wait for it to ferment. So do you have a distemmer? We just bought one used because we do make um, the other wines. Right. It's called Sophie James. Yeah. So they they make a lot of Pinot, and so we bought a destemmer for right. them. But for your wines, you're not. I, I mean, never yeah. once destemmed it. And yeah. there's been times where, like, we were making Provisor Grenache for a little bit, and I'd be like, man, this it's kind of boxy. The tannins are kind of rough. Maybe next year I'll, I'll destem it. And then, you know, we'd be mid-harvest, and I'm on top of a tank. We used to, f like, load the... It's super dangerous. We used to load the concrete. So it was two people just standing shovels and someone rotating the forklift at you and like trying to get it in the tank. Right, right. And someone would be like, oh, well, I think they're breaking down the destemmer outside. And I was like, ah, fuck. Nah, fuck it. Because <laughs> right. you so got to clean the destemmer. That's the problem with having a destemmer. It's it's totally true. But there's – so there's a lot of people, and we get it, right? California has no problem getting ripe and, and boozy and alcoholic and phenolically ripe. There's a – you know, dare I say the word herbaceous quality, a savory quality that comes from stems, especially when that whole argument about stems being lignified and not and all that kind of stuff. Like when we're picking, the stems are bright green right. and we just foot stomp and go. Right. But we like that undertone right. yeah. of savoriness yeah. that stems bring. So, <clears throat> you know, you can name a lot of people. And there's burgundy producers that do exactly the same. There's 100% destem and then there's 100% whole cluster like Dujac. And I like that flavor. Yeah. David Ramey had a comment on one of our podcasts where he talked about lignification and how it's been missed. Like, um, I, and I, I can't remember it, so go back and listen to it. Um, but, you know, from his experiences. Like, of, if we waited for lignification, we'd be at, you know, pick and straw 30 bucks. Because if no one knows what that means, I assume everyone does, great. but it's waiting for, the, you know, the, the, the rachis to turn to actual wood. And... And I've seen people do all kinds of shit. Like when we worked in South Africa, we would de-stem things and then hang it in nets. Right. right. And then add it in in very specific ratios. You you can dry it in a kiln. You could put it on the roof and dry it and add it in the way they On a hot tub. On a hot tub. On a hot tub. Mark Harold. We just, we just keep all the stems in. Yeah. Um, what about filtering? Uh, only when it's needed. So if anything, the only thing that would take us out of like the quote-unquote natty camp, which I'm very glad not to be in... Um, because cleanliness is like a major priority for us and it's like the best compliment we get. The only thing that ever has to be filtered is something that hasn't gone uh, mallow dry. So Malone, Pinot Gris, sometimes Trusso Gris. I mean, of course it goes through some of it concurrently. So do you have a good technique for getting whites to fall as clean as those are? Uh, racket clean? Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> they look great. We... It, it's man. We were just having this conversation yesterday. We um, we made rosé for our friends that like through a haze stayed hazy, and then we sent it to the lab. They spun it, and they're like, oh, it's just suspended yeast. So that came out in filtration. But whites, 
Um, like the aligote stays an egg, and it gets pretty cold, but the egg does keep things up a little bit. Right. Um, but when we go to tank, let it settle, turn the chillers on, move it tank to tank right before bottling. Um, but so rosé, pinot gris, malone, things that haven't completed mallow. And the lesser evil for us is, you know, whether you're drinking Muscadet or even, you know, people don't talk about filtration because they think all the greats like Boudinon, Rosé and all that kind of stuff. It's like, of course it's filtered. Right. It hasn't gone through mallow. You have to filter it. Right. Um, but if a little bit of sulfur and some filtration on whites are the two things that yeah. cool. make us not yeah. natty. Yeah. yeah, I like to say natural, not natty. Right. I, that... Yeah. All right. So Syrah, Syrah. Yes. Where is this vineyard? This is Hawks Butte, Yorkville Highlands. So just south of most people, of course, and you guys know where it is, but most people think of Anderson Valley. So this is you drive through Yorkville to get to Anderson. Kind of the same thing that when we think of Carneros and that cold air that comes through the wind gap. Um, similar. So colder area, higher elevation. Um, so you're at and sometimes above the fog line. Uh, so you get these like really dense skins, less mold pressure, less sulfur sprays. Not that there's anything wrong with sulfur sprays, but you get to do less of it. And that Malone, like the Malone hasn't had sulfur in it in years, CCOF now, but it's just so arid and dry down there. Yeah. It doesn't need it. And uh, what elevation is this at? This is 1100. Yeah. It's amazing how it's to get up there. I mean, that's a pretty steep mm-hmm. climb. Up. Yeah. So it's kind of like right before you get to Boonville. Yeah. Um, I'd love Syrah from out there. Love it, it out there. And strong cold sites. San Josef, olive top and nod, aromatics thing going on that I love. And Sashi's Rimrock, Arnold Roberts, Radio Coteau, Jason Drew, like the people who do Syrah well, do it really well. At least my version of what I like in Syrah, all the things that you just named, the game, the vial, the camphor, the, you know, olive, especially the pepper, like. Yeah, just whole cluster Syrah. delicious. And, you know, we, so we don't, we're not in barrel super long. And that was, that was born out of just, we didn't have the space. So we would be in barrel for 11 months. You were just flipping it. And then we would bottle because we need those barrels back. We need that space back. So we'd bottle in 11 months, which is for us, we loved it because we're really capturing freshness, but whole cluster straw is viciously tannic when it's young, of course. So we, you know, our cycle is we bottle in 11 months, but then we don't release it for 14 more months. So it goes to bottle in like. Less time in barrel, less you know fruit going stale, less sulfur use over the over the duration. Now that we're in a bigger space, and because of the nature of us moving, um, our we had to move our barrels to a different winery while we were waiting for this one to get finished being built, and we didn't have the chillers in yet. So that forced us to buy the extra barrels this year. Um, so we just bottled the twenty twos um, in December. So now we will probably for things like Syrah go a little bit longer. Yeah, but now you have the space. To now we have the space that we can actually play do around it. with these things. Will not be forced by the space to exactly. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Well, how much? How much of your wine? Also, is... don't change too much because it's obviously working pretty well. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. How much of it is going direct to consumer? Like, how much is you know? It's uh, it's a moving target because you know you start creeping into the forty and fifty, and then you have a growth year, and that knocks you back to like thirty. But yeah. I'd say. 35, 38, something yeah. in that window. Because you guys have kind of an, it's a little bit unusual wine club, right? And that it's not like six bottles twice a year. It's uh, we So we never had a wine club and it was my own, me being naive. I just didn't like the idea of forcing wine on people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people showing up kind of banged up and signing up for something and regretting it later. Right. 
Um, so I, I never really wanted one. Um, and we've also, we need to have a space to host people at some point. Like you guys have this great place. Um, we've just never got there. We put all of our energy into the winery, which is yeah. great because we like to control. Um, but when, so our, our, it's nerd stuff, but our back of house, so Vine Spring, we were forced in, not forced into, but we switched to Commerce 7 and they have that kind of built in. And so our friend Jim Cooner, who helps us manage that part, he's like, oh, now it's already built in. You guys should do it. You know what? I begrudgingly said yes. And I didn't realize how many people, like a hundred and a bunch of people signed up immediately because they don't want to think about it. They don't want to yeah. track emails and worry about release dates and is it going to sell out. So, so many great people just signed up and it's totally modifiable. You get an email that says wine is coming. Yeah. So it's pre-selected, but you can go in and you can dump the whole cart out. You can make it all true. So if you want, it's totally modifiable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of based on seasons, right? It's like, you guys have spring, summer, this year, fall, because of, something like Because that. we have so many wines, um, this year, it's like 16, 17. This year, we're actually going to do four releases, which is the first time. Um, and I, <laughs> it's funny because we keep, we keep putting more things in the ground. Like now we have Mondi's, um, and we, we were doing these one-offs every year. Not like, because we've, so there's things like Gamay and True Sugar we've been doing forever. And we oh. we feel like we've done okay thus far at the same time when something more obscure comes comes our way we're like yeah let's try that i want to see what that grows like see what it ferments like see what it tastes like so we did fraser one year we did claret blanche one year we did like i said where did you get claret blanche from (laughs) wait a minute brian is gonna follow you to the ends of the earth till you (laughs) find a bottle of your (laughs) claret blanche Uh, are you a fan i'm sure i can martian ranch all the way down in santa barbara like los alamos i drove all the way down there for harvest it was terrible Huh. No, I mean the the vineyard's great. Yeah. The or the yeah. it was I shouldn't do stuff to like that to myself. And Jenny and I both were like, whatever, it'll be an adventure. And we went down a couple times and we knew it needed to get picked. So we jumped in the flatbed, drove all the way down, stayed at that cool Skyway motel or whatever it is, went into Los Alamos, dropped the bins off, came back for the pick in the morning, drove back, got stuck in traffic. I got lost. I took the wrong way. We're fighting in the car ride. It took us like 11 hours to get back during harvest. I'm like, I'm never doing There's that two again. two reasons not to do it. Two words. <laughs> Morgan Hill. Just like right, right. that drive on 101 North when it right. bottlenecks with Morgan Hill. I, like, Yeah, totally. But so it's at Martian. Uh, we worked with Claret in South Africa. Our good friends like Mick Craven was making a great one. I don't think he's making it anymore. Some of the, you know, you worked with all the, the Rhone producers. I think Pagao yeah. is like 100% Claret in their Dead Duve. So there's some great examples of it. Yeah. Chris Cherry at Via Creek, who you had on? Maha. The Maha. The they have Claret. Claret. Yeah. 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 So, I, I've, the, the great ones that I've had have been from Chateau Neuf, where it's like, you know, 100% Claret Blanche. But, sure. but I'm just kind of curious here in California, like what it's, what it's doing. Like, are, you know, what's the right place to grow it? And what are people doing in terms of, um, Elevage and like, like, what are people doing to kind well, of- and to taste the 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 nuance different? Like, I never had. Uh, well, that's not true. We had Martian Ranch's version. Um, I've had Chris's version, and you know, stylistically, we just do things so different. He's like yeah. one of the best people on the planet. But our winemaking is is similar but different. Where his is like more opulent, more textured, more wood, like definitely like more complete and filling where ours we picked really lean intentionally because mm-hmm. that's one of those varieties 
like most Rhone varieties, like it turns a corner and it gets kind of fat and waxy. Mm. And we tend to prefer the leaner side of that. Yeah. Almost like peat pool or something. We wanted it to be like right. Chablisian. Yeah. And so, so what happened to that? Where you, did you made it? And we you did sold it. it? Ju- did it just one year. Yeah. It was always meant to be a one-off. Yeah. Um, this year, um, I swore I wasn't going to do it this year. We were trying to scale back a little bit to pay for that winery. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, no goofy shit this year. Just like, put your hands in your pocket. Don't do it. And of course, I get a call. There's 1970s planted Shoy Rebe in Napa. And Where? And um, I signed a piece of paper that says I, I'm not supposed to name okay. where it comes from. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> it, what is it? Shoy Rebe. So it, it's it's like a... Uh, they were. They thought it was um, Riesling and Kerner once upon a time, but it's not. It's another variety that I can't even name, Samling 88 or something like that. Right. But it's a Riesling cross. Okay. Um, huh. It's pretty easy to figure out where it came from because yeah. I'd never even... Of, of all the d- dessert wines that I'd seen in Napa, so like the Farniente makes the... Whatever it's called. Dolce. The yeah. Dolce, exactly. There's like some pretty ubiquitous ones. There's a winery that was making Shoy Rebe dessert wine or ice wine forever. Since mm. the 70s, it was suitcased over by the original Krug, the, um, who was the winemaker at this winery. And it's been there ever since, and they're making dessert wine. And now that it got purchased by LVMH, they don't really need the dessert wine skew. And so they're like, this is the first time we're ever going to sell it. And so we went over and looked at it. And, of course, I'm like, sure, sign me up. I don't know what I'm going to do with this stuff. Yeah. And so I reached out to – we shared it with um, Evan from Ruth Lewandowski. Mm-hmm. And then the only person that I thought – I actually reached out to Cody, and I thought the Bedrock crew would probably be interested, and Cody's Rieslings are amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was just kind of, you know, not in a good place to say yes to extracurricular stuff. Um, and I thought the only person who could tell that story the best in Napa was Steve Mathiason. And so Steve signed up, and he took the remainder of it. Hmm. And so what did you do with it, and what do you think? Uh, it's, it's in a tank right now. We're, um, we fermented it in an egg. Um, what didn't fit in the egg, we had in a stainless drum just to try to keep it pretty linear. Um, it was like hyper aromatic in the fermentation as you would expect. Uh, it's like really high terpene, like high banana. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. we needed the eggs. That was the very first pick this year. Um, so it took up one of the eggs, but we also ferment Malone and Aligoti in the eggs as well. So we needed those eggs back. So we put it to barrel and stainless drum. Um, where it's at until just now. It just went to tank for cold stability. Cool. So we bottle in a month, so we already have Malone, Pinot Gris, Trousseau Gris, Choy mm. Rebe, and Rosé. Put it in, in like tank. a Riesling bottle? long and No. So when I first started, like I drew this piece of paper. It was before we had Gamay, but I was like, okay, I won't. it was before we had Trousseau, but those were varieties that I at, was going to manifest at some level. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? Like, Trousseau Gris, there's this bottle that has these, like, Jura-esque shoulders, but it has more of a hock style. Yeah. It was like, Pinot Gris can go in, like, an actual hawk bottle, just because I wanted to say things like, rock out with your hawk out. Um, <laughs> but, so I was like, oh, but then once you kind of actually get into, like you said, this, the, the, like the nitty-gritty of how things work, right. all the different companies you'd be buying the glass from, potential different corks, all the line changes, 250 bucks every time you do a line change. It was like, okay, we're just going to pick one bottle. Everything's going on that. Yeah. <laughs> I got intrigued with Kerner. Um, is there a, is there a lot of that growing here in California? Uh, the only, I don't think there's a lot. I know there's some, um, whatever it's called now, what used to be Campani Portis. 
as like oh, yeah, yeah. Riesling and Kerner and Sylvaner and, and probably like Green Hungarian and all kinds of stuff. But it's just a mix. It's a field blend. Yeah. And then you talked about Matthias and have you ever played around with some of the Ribola? I've never made the Ribola. No. Yeah. I would try it. Yeah. I probably wouldn't skin ferment it though. It's the, it's the one you wouldn't skin ferment? I, I, like I said, the, the beauty of individuality is we're individuals. Yeah. And people sometimes, like when they come to the winery, you can tell if somebody does or doesn't like something and they're like nervous to say or they want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. And you're definitely not going to hurt my feelings. Um, because like, you know, you might not like mushrooms or uni or whatever it is. Like we're, we all taste things differently. And so for me only, like I'm just not that big on the skin fermented whites. Yeah. And so I, if I was to make Ribola Giallo, yeah. I probably wouldn't skin ferment it. But yeah. at the same time, like I remember Rhyme had probably still has these really cool punchins with lids on them and he would fill it up with Ribola. And six months later, he would open it up and you scoop off that top layer. And it's, it's like you've transcended right back into harvest again. The fruit looks like you're like, it hasn't aged at all. Huh. It was fascinating to see. And yeah. their version is great. Like they do the, the, his and the hers, um, uh, with the Vermentino, uh, like the Vermentino can be light and clean and bright and delicious, like Megan's version, or it can be textured and, you know, more savory, like Ryan's version. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Rebola, I probably wouldn't ferment it. Have you tried those wines? Those two, the his and hers? No. Oh, really? Oh, no. they're great. I'm surprised you actually haven't had that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We should, we should try to get a couple bottles and do that sometime. All right, pretty, cool. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. I right. see two different versions of yeah. the same yeah, variety, awesome. even with us, like Trusso Gris. And from the same house. We, you know, we do our version. William Allen skin ferments his. Zeitgeist does theirs direct to press. And there's continuity in all of them. Right. Like you, same profile. They're just all, you know, slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm so curious about this. The, Ro the Rossi. As long yeah. as it's not corked. Let's go. No, it's not corked. It, you know, I'm not going to say anything until you try it. I haven't had one of these probably in eight or ten years. Yeah. I mean, this is well, this is going on ten years old. So this is 2014 Jolie Lane. Wait, it's 14? 2014. Right. Okay. Uh, Grenache. Thank you, sir. So this was Grenache Syrah co-fermented with Viognier and Muscat. And so all Rossi or the Muscat? hundred percent all Rossi. Okay, Muscat. There's some Muscat. There used to be. This was before. Yeah. So this, this was, was in the transition of bef yeah before Phil was full time. Right. Okay. So Greg Adams was out there. I got introduced to it. The story I was told, I can't corroborate it, but the story I was told was that when they brought the Viognier out to co-ferment with Syrah, some Muscat ended up in the Viognier, and so there was mm. just Muscat out there, right. and I thought that was fascinating. And Muscat's a funny grape because I certainly don't like to drink it on its own, and it's one of the few varieties that tastes like Muscat. It tastes like the finished wine. It's so fucking floral and aromatic, yeah. um, but there was so little of it. I was like, yeah, sure, just pick it in, and they didn't even feel comfortable doing that. And one year, Jenny and I had to go out. They picked all the red fruit, and we went out the next day and cut off all the white <laughs> clusters and brought it, brought it to the winery and hucked it in the tank. I mean, there's there's a lot to – you drink a lot of Northern Rhone wines. There's a lot – like that little bit of Viognier. They, they say co-pigmentation, like it helps stabilize color, yeah. but it also lifts aromatics. Those ripen it like a big disparity – so Viognier goes way ahead, so it's actually kind of like an alcoholic lift as well. Yeah. Um, but it's it can just be so perfumed and pretty when yeah. you go ferment, and I just thought it was... Yeah. So we didn't ferment them all separately and then put them together. We right. just hucked it all into a tank together. 
Yeah. What's amazing about it, it, you know, texturally and totally different than the Rossi wines that we make. But you smell this wine. You smell it's it, and it's, Ro- it's Rossi Ranch. Yeah. Yeah. You smell and, it. It's Rossi Ranch. And it's it's got a meatiness to oh, it. It's very nice. Yeah. It really is. Or a, a earthiness. I mean, there's like the mid palate is just flaming. God, it's good. I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm glad it's not corked, but I'm glad it's hanging in there. I just thought, <laughs> for you, you guys get to, because you also make Rossi, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, for you guys, you get to taste yeah. fruit off that vineyard all the time. Right. That'd be, yeah, be but fun. not of this age. Yeah, yeah right. what a killer vineyard. I mean, yeah. when when your pops came out there, he was so great, he'd walk me around, and unfortunately, it was like, you probably remember this, he was very J-rooted and spindly. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of these, why a lot of these... Like this VNA and stuff's not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And Phil had said, he's like, all right, this is all going to ripped out. And unfortunately, it's not doing well, especially at that age. It shouldn't have been all spindly like that. So it got too much water. It wasn't planted well. Whatever happened. Um, he even had some criticisms about how it was being pruned, especially for old vines. And even the Grenache was on arms, not um, because all, all big cluster right. things your dad prefers head trained. Um, but at that same time, I think I paid, and hopefully this doesn't hurt your feelings. I don't know what you're paying right now, but I paid like 24 and 27 <laughs> respectively. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when, and he warned me too. He's like, look, when, when we were about to put a lot of money in this vineyard, it's going to turn into, I think at the time it was going to go to 45, probably above that. And that's where it just, <laughs> especially me at the time in 2013, I was three years in, yeah. we, you know, we made, $28 and $30 bottles of wine, not yeah. $45 and $60 bottles of wine. That's where it was like, okay, call, call, you know, Keplinger, call Andy Erickson, people who can command that. Right. Call what Bart Hansen. Yeah. <laughs> call Bart Hansen. <laughs> and all I know is I, I, I wanted to make wine off that vineyard forever. Forever. Well, it's, it's, yeah. it's stunning. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So someday I'll figure out how to do it right. <laughs> How long is or the not. line to get in at Rossi? I don't know. It depends which well, way depends you go. The, depends. Yeah, exactly. All depends on what tour you're looking for. Uh, you know. Well, then you got like Philippe coming and taking some of your Rossi, and yeah, you know, it's um, depends. Okay, <laughs> it all depends. That's a it depends on what variety you want answer. and when you want. You know, how many people are still out there? I mean, I would love to take fruit from out there too. Um, there's still a, you know, there's some political, you know, ones. There's like some vineyards that you, wineries that you sell to because the owners invested in them. Um, and then there's, when you have rosemary cake bread, you know, Helen gets some fruit from out there. Artie Jones. Oh, Helen does? I think she, I think she still does. Yeah, see, Helen and Rose, those make yeah. sense to me. They're um, great people. Tony Biaggi. Um, you know, we make some from out there. There's uh, some Abbott's Passage that comes out of there. Um, some Guthrie. Some Guthrie. Or Stewart. Yeah, yeah Stewart I think Sellers. that's on the Stewart um, side. I was going to say. Carlisle. Yeah. Uh, Carlisle makes sense. Yeah. Um, Bart Hansen. Yeah. Legend. <laughs> yeah. Um, who else? There's a couple. I'm sure I'm forgetting people. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that's trying a lot. To, that's trying to go a, back yeah. to April Fool's Day and be like, exactly. who the hell was out there? I mean, yeah. Sosi, yeah, which is right. now yeah, you know, Sosi and, Melka, and Staglin, uh, yeah, you know, right, oh, Staglin, right, Risa, yeah, uh, right, yeah. yeah. 
It's, everybody's guilty by association. <laughs> and that's one of the, so me coming from Chicago, when I first moved here, it was almost like agoraphobia. I was like, what have I done? I moved to the middle of nowhere. And I actually, I was living in Napa first. I went down and in, intentionally introduced myself to like Jared from Donkey and Goat and Chris Brockway because the fact that they were living this urban lifestyle and, and making wine in the city, I thought that was brilliant. That was, I wanted to do that. Right. Uh, then I took a job in Sonoma County. Then I started making wine in Sonoma County. You know, fast forward now we have a winery in Sonoma County. So, but you also, A, I'm a hell of a lot older now. And so you don't care as much. We go to the city and beat it up for two nights and go see shows and eat restaurants and do all the things. And then drive back over that bridge all hung over and like so ready to, to be back in quiet Sonoma County. Right. Yeah. 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 I was riding with a friend today and he, he had just got back from uh, near in Patagonia. And he goes, yeah, he goes, it was beautiful. He goes, but you know what it's not? He goes, it's not Sonoma County, you know. And and this morning it was like stunning, even with the gray background, you know, everything's so green. Totally. Yeah. It's just every absolutely. time I fly in, it's, yeah, I feel, it's, it's so good to be it's back. It's still winter technically, but it's spring. It's, yeah. it's spring definitely spring Irish there. green. It's oh, very cool. This is the yeah. most, it's so like that verdant, yeah. bright, epic. This is what it's I remember. Green everywhere yeah. except where there's green rows the, of shade. Green is the stems when Scott's picking his... Whole <laughs> <laughs> cluster, let's go. <laughs> All right, so people want to try your wines. You guys are actively doing tastings at your space? So Currently, no. Um, I mean, sure. Send me an email, scott at Joe Wines and or info at... Often info ad is better because I'm so terrible with email. There's more eyes on that email address. <laughs> Jenny at. Um, right. Yeah, if, if you want a response, Jenny or info right. at. Um, but yeah, the whole thing, J-O-L-I-E-L-A-I-D-E-W-I-N-E-S. Um, if, if someone emails me or reaches out, call, text, whatever. Um, do we have people to the winery sometimes? Yes. Do we have a tasting room? No, not yet. No. Um, it's not. Once we have the time... Um, and bandwidth and economics of building out those offices and making it nicer. Yeah. We almost want it to look like a kind of like a we work, not your desk, my desk, like just free flow. Yeah. And there's a lot of space and we can make it a lot nicer. Sure, would I love to have people there all the time? But it's also I don't I don't think and correct me if I'm wrong, some of those guys do have those sandwich boards out and do tastings all the time. Yeah. But I think it's built into our lease that I, you're not I, I, it, it is built into the lease that, that you're not. I mean, some people do. Yeah. I think, I think if anyone, Tin Barn, I think they're good to go. Um, but I think most of the other people just kind of do it. Um, I know where I'm at, uh, Steve would prefer if we didn't. Um, but I've had people down there, you know. But, yeah, you don't want to hang a sign out, I don't think. Too You've had friends over to. I've had friends over. We've, we've, had two, taste wine, yeah. we've had two pickup events which were great. Right. Um, and thankfully the space is big. So we had like 300 RSVP. We capped it. Once we got, I was like, Oh fuck, this got away from us a little bit. So we stopped it. Yeah. Uh, but the space was so big and certainly not everyone shows up, especially cause there's not a, like we didn't, it was also in the middle of harvest. If I recall, it was right before it harvest. Was, yeah. yeah. Well, no, you're, I mean, you're right. It was August. So normally we would yeah, have been in harvest. It was, it was a later year. Of harvest. Um, okay. I felt like I was picking great. Maybe there was something else that I was, there was it like an open house or something that you did later that I was. We did a later one too. Yeah, we did one after harvest. Yeah, yeah, um, we did one in November as well. And you probably were still in I was harvest. Probably still doing something. We still had some things in tank. We didn't have any grapes in the building, but we still had some things finishing in tank. So that that does make sense too. But so we yeah. we have had a couple of events. Yeah. Um, but and sure, if somebody wants to come taste at the winery, like we've had a lot of industry people there, yeah, like yeah. sommeliers reach out or distributors. Of course, they come to the winery. Absolutely. But it's also. 
you know, it's not fancy couches and chandeliers. It's it's a working winery. It's there's yeah. tanks and barrels and forklifts and stand we have around a, a barrel. We, we stand around a barrel, or if it's nice out, we have two picnic tables that we sit at and. Um, but watch the, uh, the, watch the treasury trucks roll by. Right. Yeah. And people, a lot of people love to come into the winery and see the winery. And, and so we're, it is super great. Well, to. Yeah. I mean, the way that buy. you have it set up, it's, um, you know, it's a beautiful winery space and you, you did, you, know, you did well. It's one worth going and hanging out. Like I said, we got, we got very lucky. Yeah, totally. So we made, a, we made really a lot lucky because you got twice as many tanks as you want. And then you ended up filling them all up anyway. It would have hurt if we didn't have them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it would have hurt. Yeah, totally. Yeah, to have because good, good vintage for that. Could, we pushed like two, I don't remember exactly something like 250 tons in six weeks. Yeah, through and we didn't work. We also had a great team, like the intern team and our actual employees, but we didn't work past 7 p.m. Oh, good for once. you guys. And we've never had a harvest like that. When we used to share a space, uh, you know, everyone shows up at the same time. They're fighting for pumps and equipment and tanks and whatever. Jenny and I would show up at like five, six in the morning, get a whole round of pump overs in, leave, go to Sugarloaf. We were making wine for the other people, um, the other friends, go vineyards, drop bins, do all the things, come back at night after they would leave, do another round. And sometimes that would backfire on us. We came back one night and especially we didn't have glycol. We didn't have temperature control. You know, came back and the gamay was like 100 degrees, oh my God. which, as you know, that will kill oh, a ferment. Probably not a good thing for gamay, especially. And we, we can't turn the tanks down. So we, you know, tried all these things, tried running it through like a tub and screen with water with the hoses yeah. going through, almost like a wart cooler. Yeah. D- doesn't pull any heat out like of anything. box or something. <laughs> totally. Um, so we pumped half the juice into another tank, and then we ended up filling like four, three or four tanks, mostly the concrete's like a quarter full. And left for the night and came back and the temperature came down, pumped it all back together, yeah. and it finished fermenting. <laughs> a harvest yeah. miracle. Yeah. It was, a, I mean, totally. So we've had some, not ha- having glycol, sure, it sounds cool, but now now we have a lot more. Yeah. The only people that brag about not having glycol is because you don't have glycol. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or you're in a cave with, you know, a bunch of concrete and it's naturally. Right. right. But yeah, we had we had one day. So a lot of things that having your own space can afford, you know, we put, we barreled down 90 barrels in one day this year. Never would have been able to do that in any of the other spaces. We, I'd look at the clock. We'd have like our third white press load going in at like noon. Yeah. Fuck yeah. We're fucking killing it. And you know, if you have to start early, you start early, but we, we had that same day. We, we, the whole team barreled down 90 barrels. Um, you know, we bought pizza for the crew just cause it was a long day, but we're, we're still done at seven. Yeah. It's awesome. You just you're able to get an incredible amount of work done when the space is your own. Right. I think you can end up in the long run. You'll make better wine that way too. Totally, because you're, you're not, not you're not pressurized to you're not pressure under the to pressure. You're not under the all the decisions physical pressure yeah. of that. You know, right. you don't make bad decisions because you're pressured. And and like kind of like you guys right now, I think um, we were even when we were in Healdsburg, we made most of our our own stuff at the Healdsburg location, the old Rainby building. Um, but then some of the Sophie James went to elevation, um, because our roommates there, there, it was Pinot heavy and there's only so many Pinot tanks. So the Pinot went over there, but then they also have large lots of Sonia Blanc and Rosé that we sent to Marietta because they have a big 10 ton bougie right. Euro press and big white tanks. And so you're jumping between wineries, trying to keep your eyes on everything and feel the tanks, smell it, taste it, it everything like our temperatures staying cool or they... And so you're just like maniacal going all over the place. So to that push that all into one place, yeah. it's amazing. Because yeah. how many winers are in you right now? Two or three? 
Uh, it was three. Three, although we, <laughs> it, like you said, you know, we pressed. These years are close. We pressed. Uh, there are, well, one of them's at the top of the mountain. Two that are close by and one at the top of the mountain. But uh, we pressed Homage Blanc uh, at three sticks this year because, you know, when the fruit came in, Stone Edge was super busy. It was that same, uh -huh. like, you know, it was the three weeks that of, you know, the end of October when everything oh, yeah. came in all at once. When I'm probably the same we were, time you were full. I was going to say, we were there, probably almost a, done. It was a Saturday. Um, and they pressed, you know, and they had a big, they had one of those, you know, I don't think it's a 10 ton press. I think it's like a five or six. Yeah. And they could do it all at once. So yeah, that's, you know, another way tag to chase another, you know, the whole thing. Um, you know, you grease Hector with, uh, you know, some bottles of wine and ask if they'll press it for you. As that's how you do everything in this business. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some does something. Yep. Something does something. All right. <laughs> well, wines are fucking hot. great. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say that I've, I've only had the whites um, up until today, but absolutely uh, well, um, love the red. And I didn't even mean to open all of them, but I'm glad that we did get to and get to run through them. Oh, yeah. Um, and we'll, you know, unless you want to take them home with you, we'll nope. taste through them all. No, no, no. This is all for you guys. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. So um, one more time, shout out how people can get a hold of you guys. Um, send me an email Scott at Jolie Lynn Wines Info at Jolie Lynn Wines Go to the website Wines are on the website Of course on There's, social there's media. a wine club Jolie Laid Wines so, Oh of course Social media Jolie Laid Wines Got it You know that's me Send you know DMs Slide into my DMs All the things Spell it one more time For the folks So Jolie J-O-L-I-E L-A-I-D-E Wines with an S Dot com Believe me I do this all the time When I I, I feel like I'd mess up The L-A-I-D-E And the L-D I'd be putting the I Before the E All the time um, he's from and then he's from Sonoma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell us price points. Like uh, what we, you're we, selling these for on the we website? Run a gamut, but yeah. we run everything from like twenty eight to forty five ish, fifty bucks yeah. now. Um, you know the the usual math. Like if we're pulling from something like like Alder Springs, you're spending you know five thousand a ton. That's yeah. you know you're one to Fair one. Much. That's going to be a fifty dollar bottle of wine, fifty five dollar totally. bottle of wine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're extremely. So me growing up as a, a, I don't want to say poor, but you know, not making a lot of money working in restaurants, I was afforded to be able to try a lot of wines well beyond my above my pay grade um, and be exposed to a lot of wines. But I, that personally, so you know, I wasn't going to the store and buying Cornas. It's like yeah. I go to Rome, and then you start like, oh, what's this Jacquere and Altesse, and what's the you know, that's where you start getting a Gamay and Frappato and and. and yeah. Um, so we, I never wanted to make wine for expensive sake or yep. just because people can afford it. I want anyone to be able to afford it. So w even for years, the fruit kept going up and up. Farming gets harder. It gets more expensive. Labor's tough. We have, we had a shitty president and labor laws and, and, but never once did we increase our prices and we were about to finally yep. and, uh, COVID happened. And I was like, fuck, now we can't do it. Yeah. And so we just like took it on the chin for years. So we're starting to creep them up a little bit. Yeah. But rosés and things like that, 28 to 30. Truce yeah. agrees 30 or 30 or 32 or something. Um, but this fruit, the first year we bought it, I think it was like 900 bucks. And nobody wanted it. This right. whole vineyard, <laughs> this whole vineyard used to go into, again, not going to name names, used to go into somebody's Chardonnay. I've heard that story. Cheap white yeah. filler. Yeah. And... Um, we now take the lion's share of the vineyard. Yeah. You know, these last three years, we got 20 and 25 tons. Um, but the fruit 
kept getting more and more expensive. We're now in like the three thousand or thirty-two hundred bucks a ton. Wow. Oh yeah. It's sort of that like theory about a restaurant that goes into a bad neighborhood, and all of a sudden the neighborhood starts getting better, and then the restaurant gets priced out of the neighborhood and has to leave. Yep. They, you know, can't take that nine hundred dollar fruit and make it cool, and all of a sudden it's like fucking yeah. like three thousand dollars a ton. How did like, that happen? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like straws, 45, 48, 50 bucks, like that, that range. And again, some of that translates. Like we were next door to Costa Brown forever. Um, so we have a lot of relationships where whether it's Costa Brown or Dumont or whomever it is, we buy their used barrels. They pay, you know, a right. thousand or 1200 bucks, use them twice. And then we buy them for 50 or a hundred. Yeah. Their wines are expensive. Ours, you know, it, we use old barrels. Yep. You know, we don't add any shit to it. It's just, you know, it, it people ask me like, what, what is, you know, what is, natural wine mean it's like everyone wanted to learn how to make bread during covid and it's like how many ingredients are in that yeah two some yeast and some flour a little bit of water if you got the the water yeah yeah and so but there's also wonder bread and that's the same thing we step on some grapes and dump it into a tank that's it don't inoculate don't add anything whatever or there's wines, if they actually had to list all the ingredients, they'd probably have 50 to 75 things. Riboflavin. What's riboflavin? <laughs> I don't know what any of that shit is. Yeah, you don't, you want to look at the uh, ingredient list on everything. Yeah. yeah so, well, yeah. Soon you will be on your wine bottles. I know, it's coming. It's coming. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you very Wines much. That's fucking great, man. Thank you so much for awesome. um, for coming and sharing the, the the whole, you know, the whole little lineup that we have here in front of us. Because, like I said, I've only had the whites and I've really, because um, I'm a, you know, as a daily wine drinker, you appreciate people that make wine that you can actually drink it every day and not have to get in trouble with your wife. We, I would say <laughs> that we're, we're lucky and obviously there's a team. So like between Jenny, Bailey, Schaefer, all of us together, we're able to pull all this off. But also when you work for yourself, you get to, you know, you could do whatever the fuck you want. So yeah. these are the wines that I wanted to make even when I lived in Napa and I wanted to go this direction and be like, what are you doing? And thankfully other people have been intrigued or, and, you know, followed along because otherwise I'd be screwed, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but now we're making, exactly. And driving a much nicer car. Trust me. But we get to, you know, we're making, you know, 8,000 cases of obscure varieties and people yeah. are, even during COVID, like we we did so well because the wines were inexpensive. People stopped buying expensive wines, yeah. and we're super popular because we like being in restaurants. We yeah. get introduced to and retail shops. We get introduced to so many people. But theme about people experiencing these wines, you know, wherever that, whether at French Laundry or at Eleven Madison Park or you know Blue Hill, whatever it is, yeah. we get so many emails. Like we had your the sommelier recommended your wine, and it's like amazing. That's beautiful. Really yeah. is. That's and then come back work, when yeah. um, when the sparkling wine's ready. <laughs> sparkling alligator. Let's go. And come back when you find some of that claret too. Is right, that exactly. <laughs> Don't come back without. Claret. No, come to the winery. We, we'll find a bottle of that. Okay, cool. No, yeah. I'd love to try it. All right, All right. thanks guys. Right. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Scott. Thanks for coming on. Much appreciated. Cheers. And thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Drink more Trousseau Gris. Hell yeah. Any. <laughs>